Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? Wonderful episode with uh, Vikram Gandhi today, as I, I've been plugging his movie Kumare, uh, which was just one of the best documentaries I've seen in recent memory, and you know and you know, I love a good documentary. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I think you'll still enjoy uh, this, this podcast, certainly. If you have seen it, you might get a little bit more of that inside flavor you're looking for. Inside flavor? What I'm saying is uh, it's a movie about a guy who uh, pretends to be a guru. He's an American who poses as an Indian. I mean, he's an Indian-American, but I mean, that would be a weird movie. But anyway, he goes and uh, he convinces people that he's like a mystic, basically, from India. Very, very interesting. Right up my alley. Uh, and, and also quite funny. So watch Kumare or listen to this uh, podcast and then watch Kumare. S- swap it up. Who cares? Or just listen to two guys who really enjoyed each other and never watched the movie. That's your third option. Third, uh, first thing I'd like to plug, third thing, first thing I'd like to plug is my special May 12th at 11 p.m. on Comedy Central is Nice Try the Devil. That's coming out. Nice Try the Devil on May 12th, 11 p.m. And the CD DVD will be available on May 14th. You can pre-order that on Amazon. Uh, if you feel nasty, click on the Amazon banner on this episode and then, you know, double support the show. I consider myself the show. One, one supports the show, one supports me. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Here are, the, uh, here are the tour dates if you'd like to come out to a live show. Cleveland, Ohio. I'm going to be there for one night with Chris there. May 16th at the Grog Shop, Cleveland, Ohio. Going back to Washington, D.C. to the 930 Club, May 22nd. Philly, we finally rescheduled Helium. The Helium Comedy Club, May 23rd through the 25th. Bloomington, Indiana for the Limestone Comedy Festival, June 7th and 8th. I'll be do- doing shows with Doug Benson, our friend Doug Benson. Uh, Portland, Oregon. I'll be at the Aladdin Theater for one night, June 20th. 29th, Seattle, Washington, the Neptune, uh, June 29th. Did I say 29th twice? Portland's the 28th, Seattle's the 29th. Those are what we got going on right now. If you want to email the show, uh, do it through Facebook. That's uh, one way to do it. You can also do weirdatnerdist.com. I happen to check the Facebook one more often. That's uh, facebook.com slash youmadeitweird. Uh, youmadeitweird.com is where you can get t-shirts for weirdos by weirdos. And You Made It Movies is on iTunes. It's on Gumroad. It's all over the place. That's where I watch an episode. Uh, I'm sorry, I watch a movie with a guest from a favorite episode. Uh, we kind of talk over it. Mystery Science 3000 style. The, uh, the sponsor... For this episode is Bonobos. We all know this by now. Bonobos, like Bono, bows, like the animal, the bonobo, sexagon style. If you're not familiar with Bonobos, they're a men's apparel brand with an online and offline presence with a focus on the fit of clothes and customer service. they got everything from washed chinos to denim to casual shirts, shirts to suits to blazers. People have been asking me to say, blazer accuracy? Sure. Bonobos. Blazer accuracy. The whole mission is simple, to make better fitting clothes that are stylish and comfortable. Nothing itchy, horrible, unnatural, terrible feeling slacks. It's not going to happen to Bonobos. You're going to look and you're going to feel good. Look and feel good. Seriously, Bonobos. That's what's happening. Uh, for You get 20% off your first purchase if you type in Pete on your checkout, and you also get free returns. So go to Bonobos.com. B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com. That's it, weirdos. Enjoy my friend Vikram with a bonus meditation at the end. Please sit here. Very nice to meet you. I'm Pete. Thanks for coming in. 
I didn't get your tea, and I didn't get myself coffee. So oh. she's gonna go get she's those. Driving yourself. Um, sure, I'll have like an iced tea, or you know, if you just have water, that's good too, or yeah, just some uh, Glen Libet. We have all of that. No, that's fine. I'm just kidding. I can get you like with a, just like a plain iced tea. Yeah, that's okay. cool. Something that without that much sugar. He wants an unsweetened. Yeah. Unsweetened. Hello. Is the stereotype attached to that? All the Indian people love. That's, that's, not, that's true. Actually not true. You get a you get a chai and sweet anywhere. Belling against my roots. And a and a mint. Yeah. When there be like a mint. Well, no, there would be no mint. That's I don't know. That it would be yeah. Well, there'd be after that you know samph yeah fennel samph? seeds. What? It's samph. The fennel seeds, yeah. Okay, you know what, what I'm doing, which is kind of ignorance, right, right to start off, is that I've, I've been to Israel, I was in Jerusalem, and that's where I'm getting that. But I'm, I'm just assuming everywhere else where you well, get Well, actually, it all my assumptions of Israel come from hanging out in India with Israelis, so... Is that true? Most of them, yeah. Goa. Goa, North India. That's where Jason Bourne hid. Yeah, that is. That's true. Do you, did you know that? I did know that, yeah. That's where he runs on the beach. He's excited, yeah. He really, that's really where I, That's where I would go to hide. A paradise, expat paradise. Is it a paradise? Yeah, you've been to Goa. I've been in Goa. Yeah, I remember I was there. There was a, a early, maybe two thousand two or something, and um, on the beach in Goa, there's a really restaurant. There's just Hebrew everywhere. You couldn't even find Hindi. It's more Hebrew than Hindi in Goa. Yeah, is that yeah. true? I didn't know that. It's a Portuguese colony. Yeah, so it's Christian, and then uh, a lot of a lot of weed being smoked there by. Um, is it being grown there, or is it? It's being grown in North India. The Israelis are there too. I mean, there uh, every place that I would go <laughs> to do some hippie shit, there are going to be Israelis. Really? Yeah, they're like sort of. Uh, they'll be like super fit. They just got out of the army, but then they'll wear like a pink jumpsuit that'll say "Love" on the back or something like. So that. is is that like a natural rebellion, having been forced into the Israeli army? You think then they have some sort of like? Yeah, you go chill out in India. In, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think how close is that? How how far is Israel to India? I always think of India being so so far away, but it's not that far. Um, I mean, it's six hour plane ride. I think that's not bad at all. Yeah. How long is it from here? That must be like a fourteen 12, hours. 14. fourteen hours, I think. Yeah, on that's a plane. brutal. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. That's one of the best parts of being in Israel is you can go anywhere. We went to Egypt. We went to Jordan, and, and it was like going to Vermont. <laughs> I don't know if you can go anywhere. <laughs> What do you mean? Oh, well, you can't have them stamp the passport. Can't go to Indonesia. Yeah. Um, and going to Jordan could be tricky, or Egypt could be tricky. But or like an entire section of the world. Yeah. But they <laughs> they wouldn't stamp... Uh, I think we got them to not stamp our passports somehow. Yeah. No, that's... I think... Or or do you do is you get two passports. That's... Yeah. you can get two passports. Like I, Jason Bourne. I mean, he keeps coming <laughs> up. It's like five <laughs> passports. Like I, you know, so I want to... Uh, first of all, let me open... I'm not going to forget Jason Bourne. I'm writing that down. But I do want to welcome you properly and just say that I love your movie. I watched it twice in a row. I just, I loved it. Are we on the show right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. This is the show. All right, cool. I almost threw up watching your movie uh, because of the anxiety I was feeling, yeah. liking it to a breakup, like having to tell people that you're not really in love with them or whatever. Not saying that you didn't have love for your, your followers, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like you did have to reveal some horrible thing, which was like... Yeah, it's kind of like the, it's like a plot from a... A high school movie. Yes. Or Mrs. Doubtfire. It is. But very similar to Mrs. So Doubtfire. much more. Mm. The second time I watched it, I felt less of a betrayal sort of thing. The second time I got more how throughout the film you're planting the idea that that was kind of the point all to begin with. Yeah. Which, that's actually my first question for you is, is did you start it more of a prank, more of a comedy, 
and then kind of revisionistly realize what was happening and then be like, I better start telling them that the point is that this is an illusion or I'm going to look like a piece of shit. No, I wasn't really worried about looking like a piece of shit. I think <laughs> I think that I think it's a matter of taking one for the team in a way like I didn't care if somebody thinks, well, Vikram sucks and Kumari is great or they both suck. But I, I didn't want anyone to think they both sucked. But I think if somebody thought, well, Vikram's a terrible person, um, but I like what Kumari is saying, that's OK with me. That's not um, that. That's fine. Um, but but no, I think more what I think more what I experienced is that we're all kind of told that we tell stories in genres, especially in movies. So mm-hmm. it's like, are you doing a prank comedy movie? Well, that's what you're doing, right? Um, and I always had this thing where I had all these very deep philosophical ideas that I want to put into it. I wanted to say something about human nature. And it's just very hard to articulate that in a tone. I think um, the filmmakers that I appreciate are the ones who are able to to balance comedy and yeah. and deep subjects. Um, and you know, you can't really pitch that. And when you're a first time filmmaker, it's hard to articulate it. Like mm-hmm. if if the Coen Brothers were to say, "I'm going to make a dark comedy," you were like, "Okay, I get what the Coen Brothers dark comedy is." Mm-hmm. It's very hard to articulate that as a first time filmmaker exactly what the tone is, especially when there's this sort of outlandish prank element to it you know people can't really fathom it and even and even on our end like it was very hard to say well we're gonna joke and then we're not gonna joke it's gonna get more serious so inevitably i think what happens is in the edit we kind of pack the beginning a bit more with humor Mm -hmm. and then allow the emotion deeper emotions of the film to take over okay maybe Um, that's what i was picking up that i was like i thought there was a shift but uh, you know yeah i mean what what the shift really is i think is that in the edit i didn't realize to what extent i would have to be until the edit i didn't realize to what extent i would have to be a part of the movie as myself vikram mm-hmm. um cuz i just thought well let's let it live in the kumare world it's like whimsical and all of this but but the reality is that i had to kind of make it about me and in that process it it sort of is like telling you in the beginning yeah this is a joke but it's serious and i always thought of it as like the serious joke like it's an absurdist thing and i mean and i don't know if i would do how i would have done it differently i just think there are so many things in play you got like sort of deep subjects comedy and satire and then you have real people so you're also then narrative and fiction and nonfiction mixing yeah so in a way the easiest way to sort of relate it is like hey we're it's a joke in the beginning but i think one thing is true uh, you know not to say that it there wasn't a shift the real shift is just as you get deeper and deeper it gets more and more um emotional for the viewer and for us yeah like i the first week of course is going to be a little bit more you know light-hearted yeah. It just as it gets deeper. But you don't have anybody else in, in, involved, really. At that point, what's the harm in you saying? For those of you who don't know, by the way, I'll say this in the intro. Yeah. You made a film where you for, you started out making a documentary about gurus, and then you were like, I think it might be interesting if I pretend to be a guru, just because I know I'm full of shit, and I'll be full of shit, but not not really say mistruths, but not be any sort of special teacher, and then just see what happens if I kind of teach people that then that that's what happened. That, that we don't need a guru or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, uh, I actually really believe in everything that Kumari teaches. Like, I, and I think the movie and Kumari 
uh, what Kumari teaches and the message of the movie are actually one and the same. Yeah. Um, which was a tricky irony to have. Like in, in most movies and prank movies, the people are not aware or never become aware of the irony that they're part of. Right. So Borat is like, oh, I'm going to expose you as an anti-Semite. It's not like the anti-Semite then is like, Oh, interesting. You've taught me something about anti-Semitism. Right, right, right. It doesn't right, right, right. get there. No, uh, that's what I, fa- I, I thought. It, I think it's a very important movie, and it, was, it also made me cry. I don't know why I started with it made me want to throw up, because that is the most difficult part of the movie. Uh, watching, well, there's a part where I'm almost about to throw up, too. No, so, I know. Uh, yeah, I almost threw up when you were almost throwing yeah. up. That's very powerful filmmaking. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> and then I, I, some of, the, some of the, your, for lack of a better term, disciples resonated with me more than others and it just really kind of was devastating in a beautiful way they, though i'm talking about the ones that actually stuck with you that got mm-hmm. got the uh the teaching by the end yeah the teaching being that, that we don't really need anybody which actually goes back to jason Bourne. <laughs> we don't we just we don't need we don't we just need an identity we grow into those identities just yeah. like jason Bourne. well you know? well my i actually have a spiritual belief in line with jason Bourne, which is i think that movie is a spiritual movie in that we all need to. We all have amnesia, and we all need to wake up to our own divinity. I actually think that's what those movies are about, with some pretty cool fights and car chases. I'm gonna hug you so badly right now. Is that right? Is that right? A little bit. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. I knew we would get along. Yeah. I watched this movie twice. Big room twice. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I want to talk about all those different things. And I, I, I'm sure you're talking about the movie a lot, so I'd like to do it in a way that you also enjoy. But that that Jason Bourne thing resonates with you. Yeah, well, I, I think that. Um, well, I, I like uh, I like those movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while, but I mean that does seem to be what Kumari is saying. It, it, no, it's actually literally what you're saying the entire movie, which, by the way, is also incredibly impressive. Do you have acting and acting background? Uh, I do now. Yeah, you do now. Yeah. Well, you now, really got thrown I'm a, in. Now I'm an actor. But there, there's I'm some really I, I, I act in feature films now. <laughs> that's right. I'm a lead. You're a lead. <laughs> yeah. And a director, and I guess yeah, so you're the writer as well. Yeah, this is who I am now. That's fantastic. But the part <laughs> there's some really <laughs> subtle good comedy in the film, specifically when the past life psychic is reading your, which which was really difficult to have a character go into a past like psych, past life psychic and then watch her read that character's past life almost. But then that that there's a very I, I wondered if that was the clip you used to promote the film because the look that you give her made me laugh both times. Well, there's a, there's a little bit of in the trailer that that clip, <laughs> but that um, <laughs> it's pretty I mean ballsy to tell an Indian guru that you're going to tell him what his past life was. Yeah, that is a bold choice. Yeah, yeah, or read his aura. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I, I, I don't know. I've never been to Phoenix, but I know those places. I've been to that place outside of Scottsdale, Arizona. We drove a couple hours, a very spiritual place. Sedona. Sedona. We went there. That was a big letdown for me. A lot of that stuff often leaves me. I'm a very spiritual person. Like, I'm one of those people that thinks, oh, let's try it. You know what I mean? Let, let's buy a pyramid. Or let, let's, uh, who, maybe this guy's right. Vortex. Guy, yeah, or maybe vortexes are yeah. real. And I tried meditating by one of the vortex places, and I was like, it always leaves me very hollow and, and kind of sad when I realize that it's not a piece of jewelry and it's not a place necessarily. And it's it's not all these like a lot of the people you met with had similar garb. And, yeah. and there's just like a, a flavor to spiritual living that is kind of off-putting to me that, yeah. that alienates me, that makes me feel, you know, left out. Whereas I, I think maybe what we're saying is it doesn't need to be a vortex place 
it, it's always mm. inside of us. Right. Isn't that, isn't right. that the case? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think that there's a style. I mean, there's a style to spirituality that I'm rediscovering now living in Venice. I've, I've rediscovered what that is. Um, there's there's a, a way of being. There's like you can be um, – you can act in certain ways. But it's interesting to sort of um, see that there's a style of talking and a style of acting that's actually kind of like a new age spiritual right, thing that right. isn't necessarily have anything to do with spirituality. Right. And it becomes more clear to me that that exists just as I know that it's a recreation of sort of an Indian – orientalist thing Mm -hmm. and then now it's like having sort of a rebirth and i do think that in the core of it there's some interest in finding something deeper but a lot of it is just artifice and kind of a decoration around right you know okay so you you go to these spiritual type people Mm -hmm. and stuff and they all it's very 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 interesting and of course i'm recommending this movie is the idea that these people all connect with you and they all say that something was special about you. People say that you're of the ranks of the angels and that you're the representation of the divine and all that sort of stuff. So are they wrong or are they right in that that's in all of us? They're seeing it in you because they want to see it in you and because you're giving them permission to see it in them. But couldn't we see that in Katie as she blows on her coffee? Or couldn't you see that with anybody that you took the time to like face towards and stare in the eye and like take the time to slow down and really like connect is, are we all divine or are none of us divine? I think it's my question. Well, I think I think that's um, a matter of if you find divinity being optimistic and something. I mean, I think belief in God is just pure optimism. It's like the highest. It's like just grand <laughs> optimism that that the whatever's at the end of uh, on the outskirts of our world that we can perceive is a positive good thing, right? Um, and then. You know, instead of infinite blackness, or, or yeah, or mane- instead of a complete, malevolent thing, yeah, or malevolent thing, or just um, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. That would be just like nihilism. Right. So I think I think God is you know that sort of idea, and then yeah, I mean if and if that's if that's the way you want to look at the world, then I think then you would probably see that yeah, Kumari was just a div, you know a was a gateway for somebody to see divinity in somebody else. And again, they could see divinity in this character easier. You right. know, there was this paradox that I had where um, I remember somebody was questioning me about how I could say I was a guru. It was right after that sound healing. Uh-huh. One of the first, one of the sound healing things we, uh, we went there and this guy said, I don't understand why you're sitting up there and you're calling yourself a guru when we don't need these different layers. And I was thinking, well, that's funny because that's sort of what the movie is trying to say. And then I ended up defending my, like the opposite to him, um, which was really weird. And I tried to put in the movie, there was some sound issues with that scene, but, but it was interesting because it, I, I was like, well, if you cannot, I said, if you cannot see a guru in, in me, then how can you see a guru in yourself? Like, and so there was a logic to that that was sort of opposite. But, right. but in a way, it's just sort of a paradox. Like, you know, the movie's saying, hey, nobody's more special than each other. And then it's also saying, if you want to perceive the world where everybody is a great being and everybody is a teacher and everyone's wise, right. that is a a legitimate way of operating in the world and possibly a really good one. Right. It seems weird, though, that even though, like, I think you'll agree with this, uh, even though we don't need a guru, it sure is helpful. Let's say that they're all equal. Even if you, me, 
Like, it would be weird for me to sit by a pool and put a candle in the water by myself. But that's something that communally it seems kind of special. And, and as, as mammals, we like being around each other and doing things corporately. You know, that mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of that idea. The problem you have, I think, is that somebody says, I've been given this gift and I can't even articulate it. But somehow I'm in touch with God and I'll, I'll be the, the conduit for you. But if you and I and Katie were like, let's start our own spiritual thing – what would happen was some guy would be the guy that's like, hey, I think we should go on a hike. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in that way, he would slowly kind of like wolves and an alpha person, just a more decisive person, a more interesting person, a more curious person, a less anxious person would naturally develop into a leader, not necessarily a spiritual leader, but the person that would like make the group work. Right, right. Because Kumari is like, you don't need a girl, you don't need a girl, you don't need a girl. I'm like, you do need to agree to meet at the pool at noon because otherwise we're all just lonely in our houses. Yeah, yeah. No, (laughs) and I think that that's... But then those people are nothing, uh, you know, they are only what they are because of the people around them. There's no... um, It's only because of those skills of communication and organizing... um, and being clear and focused that make that person separate from the person that is following them. I think also, um, you know, having lived this character for a while of being a spiritual leader, that that one-on-one connection with people will affect you and make you a person who fills that role. Right. But when you step away from that and a, the guru person decides to, you know, be on their own and still is a guru... Yeah. Um, through technology or communication, the way they are able to communicate with people, then they become who they are. And they can, uh, like, I know that I can be the same as um, effective of a communicator. Um, you know, I can say, inc- you know, incredibly, I can say equally um, inspiring words of wisdom if I, you know, woke up that morning hungover. Or have, if I've been meditating for the last month, right? Like it doesn't necessarily say that the person is inherently this holy person or on a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all capable of it, and and so in order, I think it's about. I think it's about you know, people are able to communicate something that we all have inside, and certain people are able to, or they desire to communicate mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, and people, and now it's become sort of a mainstream thing. And I think that uh, a lot of people are communicating things. So, in, definitely in California again, because yeah. um, I'm just kind of new to new to California. Um, and because of the movie I made, people especially will. I'll get a, a card from a healer at least once a week. Someone will give me a business card like I'm a healer. I do what kind of stuff you do. Um, I just saw your movie. I, and and I was like, well, that's really interesting. Um, but definitely, I've met a lot of healers. It's become like it's a career. Wait, even in the in the light of the movie that you're you're saying it's not. I don't have any powers. Even at the end, they're still insisting that you do. But you're like, I don't. I don't. I'm just a regular guy. We're all just regular guys. People are still saying, I do what you do. I'm a healer. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's de- <laughs> those are definitely the words. Uh, and I think it has to do with just the message of the movie being that there's you, you know look inside yourself for answers. Yeah. Um, so I do think – but there's obviously irony to that but too. That, well, the, the great irony is you set out a movie to kind of not be a guru and prove that you're not a guru and then you ended up being a guru. Well, I mean I think this is an arbitrary word. I mean what percentage of people actually know what a guru means who have a, have a, have a guru? I don't know. Um, it doesn't mean a bearded Indian 
man. Um, no. <laughs> I wish it did. Uh, it mean, it, I mean, the, the translation is one who removes darkness. Um, in Sanskrit, which is a language that also people probably never, most people haven't heard of. Sure. <laughs> but but uh, so, so that's an arbitrary role. I mean, I think that there is a role. Um, that's that's complicated that we don't necessarily have in our modern society, and because it came from the East, we can say, well, this is a new piece of vocabulary. But um, it's not a necessity. There doesn't necessarily have to. There's no reason that we're saying this has to be a job that people have. Mm-hmm. There is a guru relationship that somebody needs to have. Like that's something that's been created by us, by by um, recreated in America. I think that. The Indian version of a guru, um, at least as far as I've grown up, had uh, there are a few incarnations. Like I read, in, I used to read in Indian comic books the gurus that people had back then. They had like ten disciples. They lived on an ashram. Most of the disciples were like young men, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they would have a guru who is an older man who. Uh, would be a celibate monk and like have no money and teach them to meditate and practice yoga and go like do archery and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that guru had wisdom and action and and through the their actions, through how they live. So their students were like, oh, I watch how this guy lives, how he deals with money, how he, you know, does he, how does he treat the animals, his wife, you know, if he has a wife and he's not celibate or they, they see that. And then, uh, then I have you know friends who are Indian musicians, and they refer to their teacher as their guru, um, whether it's playing sitar or some other Indian instrument like that. And the same thing if you had a mentor, if you were a physicist or a comedian or whatever, you know, a writer. So that well, actually seems some comedians have a darkness removing quality. I would say true. Well, and, and in the yeah, lighting. but what what I mean is that like so the the in reinvention in America of a guru has a celebrity status and followers and flocks of them, and that came I think a bit more from our like Hollywoodization of of what a guru is. It's like it's the iconography, mm-hmm. you know. And then also India is very much about iconography too. So it works it works really well. They're like sort of distorted mirrors of each other, India and America. So in in a strange way, I, I think it works in both countries really, really well. But in America it's definitely to me more attached to celebrity status than it ever was in India. Especially that guy the classic guy at the beginning with the huge beard that was fucking all his hot yeah. disciples. Mm-hmm. That guy was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's an amazing. He's an amazingly charismatic guy. Who's who? If he was a, if that guy, his name is Bhagavan Das. If he was a, a blues guitarist who played <laughs> in like smoky clubs and got laid, you'd be like, what a cool guy. Yeah, you know. But well, because he's a spiritual teacher, you're like, that's so creepy. You it know? is. It is creepy. But I had to. I admired his owning of it, even though yeah. I, I get that that's inappropriate or maybe mm-hmm. weird or atypical from what we think of when we think of gurus. But he's like, what would be better than having sex with like a mystical guy? Yeah, and I'm like. At least he's not like trying to make it sound like he's trying to impregnate them with his offspring to the next prophet or something. He's just saying, I enjoy sex as a spiritual practice. Why wouldn't we do that? The delivery of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. he's removing the darkness. (laughs) They do it with the lights on. Yeah, you can't remove darkness with darkness. You need to use light. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That sounds like a really good pickup line. If he were a blues guitarist, he would be the man. But unfortunately, in the movie, definitely comes off skeezy. I I don't know if you've gotten this question before, but something that I was wondering when you were watching, speaking of being a guru and just being a, a teacher, you know what I mean? But then also... 
impacting people and having these people tell you and trust you and love you and all that sort of stuff. You like if if I were you, and this is why I'm relating to that bad guru because mm-hmm. I would be like him. Yeah, you would. As I, w- <laughs> you can tell that already. <laughs> I would be like him, and I would start to buy it. I, you know, the the thing that you were trying to sh- shed light on mm-hmm. was what I would do with that kind of power. And I'm not just talking about fucking people. I'm talking about with a little bit of encouragement. If you every day called me and were like, Pete, I, I really think you're psychic. After maybe I don't know seventy days, I'd be like, I might be psychic. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty so suggestible. Suggestible, okay. But I'm that guy. I'm, the, so I'm the, that's even what, from right now when I call you and text message you every day. Yes. For the next month, I think you're psychic. Yeah. But you'd have, you'd have to, you'd have to give me something. You'd have to be like. No, I, I, I okay. Well, let's let's just defer that for. Some, yeah, that'll be your next movie making yeah. making some idiot think he's psychic. <laughs> but that's the thing is like that's what made me resonate so much with the film is that how people want to believe. So, so badly. All we want is a word like guru. You're talking about how we don't understand a word. Great. Give us a word that we don't fully understand. Right. Guru. It means teacher. Yeah, but it's like Indian teacher and he removes darkness and all that sort of stuff. And you're wearing the robe and you have the beard yeah. and you're holding a staff. And all of a sudden I can be like, great. I've been looking for something. This will be the thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I went to my, my a chiropractor for, for the first time and I noticed he was very good. But he was adjusting me and he was like, okay, now push, uh, push uh, on my hand. You know what I mean? Like give me resistance. Yeah. And then I would do it and then he'd adjust me and then he'd go, see how much easier it is now that I've adjusted you. And it was. But then one of the times he adjusted me and he was like, push on my hand. And I forgot if it was supposed to be easier or harder because I wasn't paying attention right. for a second. And then it was less impactful. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm pushing and, he, and I didn't hear what he said. And then I was like, it became mm-hmm. – I couldn't believe in him as easily. All that shed light on was the fact that I wanted to believe in him. I wanted him to be magical, just like everybody wanted Kumare to be magical. Right. Just like if I buy a crystal, even if it's kind of as a joke, part of me is like, what if this is the thing? I'd, I've never had a crystal before. Maybe I'm going to go home with this. I, I'm not completely that person, but I certainly can relate to that person. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the this sort of idea of a placebo effect and a spiritual placebo is kind of why we made the movie. But I was just thinking while you were saying that how – there's never really placebo you know the the joke of like oh the guy who's pretending to be high but then he, yes. he but because and you know he's pretending because there you know you were they weren't actually smoking weed right, or something right you gave him like, oregano or right. non-alcoholic beer was the one like there the there are placebo tests in medicine um that are like oh well did you heal because of the fake thing and there's no placebo test for like i'm giving you some poison you know, <laughs> wait, wait. What do you mean? Like there isn't the negative placebo. Oh, there. I see. I was just thinking about. But oh, but that's interesting. Take there, this; it's poison. Yeah, and then but actually, there is. Is there? Uh, what happened was, I, look, you're talking to one of a your. You, no, no, you're talking to a lost person. <laughs> <laughs> they did this. Uh, meaning, I, I enjoy the American guru, yeah. uh, Tony Robbins, as cheesy yeah. as he is. Yeah, I'll I'll listen to anybody, uh-huh. and then I'll regurgitate on this. Wait, podcast. is the pizza thing? What's that? The pizza thing? The soda machine thing. Okay. No, I don't know. I want to know what the pizza thing is. It was something about making pizza taste disgusting so that people would stop eating it. <laughs> oh, interesting. I don't know. I, a friend of mine just It was in the me. 14 day seminar that I took with him. You did? I'm just joking. Oh, my God. Did he walk on the coals? <laughs> no. But all brown I people I, can do that. I, I you can totally do that. Somebody <laughs> just told me there's a pill you can take that makes you uh, 
Indian? <laughs> if there was, I'd take it, man. I would take it, and I would go on my little journey, shave my head. But I need one to make me white when I get back. I need, I need that white coat. Easy out, yeah. I need an in and an out. <laughs> Uh, the the soda machine was, was it was some sporting event so tens of thousands of people and they made this announcement that the uh, if anybody drank a soda if anybody drank a Pepsi specifically a Pepsi um, something's wrong with the machine uh, it's probably okay but if you're feeling ill there is a medic on the first floor of the stadium and like within an hour hundreds and hundreds of people started feeling ill and going so they were saying that the soda was poisonous and then they made an announcement which was also true it wasn't an experiment it was real they said oh we, we, i'm so sorry there's nothing wrong with the pepsi and then all of those people were healed this happened mm-hmm. that's a crazy thing yeah so that ha- i mean I, we talk about this on the show all the time I have a little post-it note on my on my mirror. It says, uh, I accept myself unconditionally right now. It, but it doesn't say that. It says the acronym, which actually spells out I am earn. Uh, so I am earn. So they they talk about how that is not, uh, you know, unempirical, un- not provable bullshit. But it actually does help people. Like, it's, like they, right, right. they can study your blood pressure. They can study your temperature. Yeah. They can study your heart rate, all that sort of stuff. That's your blood pressure too. But like – that sort of stuff does work. So right. I, that was an interesting part in the movie for me when you're teaching people silliness. Yeah. And again, I didn't think you were doing maliciously, but you were like, the point is I'm just making this up. And you're teaching them how to look at someone in the eye and uh, just imagine energy going into them and their energy into yeah. you. And that being beneficial. Like, yeah, well, I, no I mean, kidding. I mean, I think the, the movie is sort of a... You know, a big part of it is just like celebrating imagination and creativity and how that's so much part of the way we can construct our own outlook on the world. Fucking A. Yeah. (laughs) No, fucking A. I I don't throw fucking A around. That's a huge thing. The choice of you abandoning your identity, saying I'm going to be this thing. And then noticing that when it was your job to be happier, that you were happier. This is a huge part, I I get very lofty, of whatever my life's ministry is, just ministering to people, is the idea that you can make choices. The Pepsi didn't make me sick. I am a happy spiritual person. I am filled with blue light. As much as that makes my dick go inside my body, Mm -hmm. when the guy goes, it's your birthright to have abundant, infinite joy, you know what I mean? I'm Mm -hmm. like, fuck that guy, what an idiot. There are times when I go like, no, I, I'm going to claim some of the happiness that I know is inside of me. And if you want to look at it at a scientific level, my brain is holding on to the endorphins. If I go on a run, it releases them. How about if I tell it to? How about if I like calm myself down? And that's a, that's a, that's a facet of imagination. That's a facet of claiming what, what, what can we do to our brains? What meditation, yoga, right. or just optimism? What are those th- or just believing in somebody. We're, I think we're just desperate to do something to make yeah, things yeah. better. I mean, I think if somebody also, I mean, one of the reasons I think that there are, we we are interested in having a guide like a Kumari guru or somebody in that role is that we are, live in a very confusing time. Um, everything we do, I feel like most of the stuff we do, we know is bad for us. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have, a, we know that we shouldn't be driving around. And like, you know, driving everywhere in our cars. So we just decide to like create an electric car as opposed to like, you know, just trying to figure out how to change our behavior. And that's funny. That's like the Seinfeld bit about the helmet. He's like, instead of stopping the head breaking activities, we invented the helmet. 
Right. So we could continue our head-cracking lifestyle. Yeah, or we, we build a house. I think there's a Seinfeld thing where he's he, talking about building a house, and we make windows so we could see out of the house, and we put <laughs> curtains, and then we have to put an AC unit in, you know, just like... That's really funny. I've never heard that. Uh, but, it, but, but, uh, but I think because of all of this, uh, you know, this shit that's sort of like mounting in all of us, that if somebody is able to cut through it and say, I have a worldview that makes sense, mm-hmm. that is both... Not all about money. It's not all, not about money. It's not all about self. You know, stat. It's helping yourself. It's not just about helping others. If somebody's like, no, here's the way you do it. This is the way that makes you know you at ease, the world at ease. Right. Life makes sense. Right. This is why we're here. When you get that, you're like, shit. This is just organized. All of the combating and right. all of these disparate ideas that are going on in my head, and I think. I think it is really good when you hear somebody speak like that. I mean, most most times I've been inspired more by like, you know, writers who are equally confused and fucked up and are able to show how confusing the world is. Right. And um, I think we've all been saturated by that. And so I think nowadays if somebody says here, no, this is how the world could be better by acting in this certain way. I mean, it's it's a cool thing to have those people around, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that who we call gurus are the people with those right ways. those knuckleheads yeah. at the be- in the in the first act of your movie are not are not the answer yeah i mean i don't i don't know i mean i think we're all constantly all learning about you know how fucked shit it is yeah, like, yeah yeah it's like oh i didn't know that it was fucked up so right. maybe this is an answer to that right so i think we're all like learning that and there isn't like that's why i think we also see like the environmentalist become kind of a guru or the guru become an environmentalist or the yoga teacher offering solutions beyond yoga class. And like, mm-hmm. it's all kind of mixing together and being, because everything's clearly so much more affected than we ever, we, we know that we, than we realized it was. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, in a way, like, I think that, um, the, I mean, the problem is that we don't, uh, people, gurus don't necessarily lead by example. Mm-hmm. They lead by rhetoric nowadays, and mm-hmm. I think that you know people who do lead by example. You kind of have to be around and hang out with, and you can't be like teach me because mm-hmm. that's not often what right you know wise people do. They don't necessarily become spiritual teachers. That's not the next. Oh, you're really wise and you live a good happy right. life. Why right. don't you become a teacher? Right. They would be wise enough to know not to be right. Right. Teacher. right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that I think that's one of the weirdest and deepest parts of the movie is that like you know Christ taught in parables. Every Buddha taught in parables. All these little stories and 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 uh, weird answering questions with questions. And there's there seems to be a place in all of these spiritual lessons. And I do think your your movie has a, a powerful lesson in like this unconventional thing that never sets out to say I'm going to teach you anything. In fact, you hook people. And I don't mean that in a bad way, mm. but the hook of the movie is this guy is a fraud. Yeah, yeah. What is the logline? The the true story of a false prophet. The f- true story of a false prophet. So we're all sitting down going, oh, I wonder if there's tension or conflict. Right, right. You know what I mean? I wonder if he ever is asked if he speaks, if he speaks Hindi or I wonder if he ever laughs or right, whatever. Right. But then at the end of this little tale, we realize that when we look back – I realize now that I'm equating you to Christ. But when we look back on, on Jesus' stories, there's a lot more there. When he tells uh, – you, you were a religious studies yeah, yeah, major, yeah. so you know the prodigal son. People do like five, six-hour sermons on the prodigal son. It, it's like an endless mm-hmm. sort of thing to look into that you can make mean a lot of different things. Right. 
So I, I think that I think that's true. That that's that idea that like I'm just saying what you said. If somebody is a real teacher, they don't really directly necessarily teach like here are the seven steps to effective living necessarily. Right, right. That's that's more of a Western. Here's how to get shit done sort of approach. Yeah. Well, I, also, I mean, we I don't know why we imagine that there's like one person who has the answer. Yeah. You know, for it's everything. Comforting, I think. Yeah, but but <laughs> there's just like there's no way. I mean. You think about people who are you're inspired by, who, you know, who are writers, and then look at their lifestyle, and you're like, "Damn, I don't want that lifestyle." Yeah, um, and you, you think mean of, the tortured artist sort of thing. Yeah, or or like you know, a talented musician who spends their life touring and being as true to their music as possible, but they have a ton of bad habits. Right. Like, there's very t- few times where I'm, especially when I've met people in the spiritual world who I think are doing or living the life that I want to live. And part of it is because I don't necessarily want to be a yoga teacher right. or a guru. So that's not the role model that I'm going to find. Although I can appreciate certain things that I'm, I'm learning from people. I think the idea of equating one person with all the answers is, is inherent to like the issue about, you know, that the movie is addressing is, um, and you know, I met. I remember talking to Deepak Chopra before making the movie. Um, and uh, I Are you like, just friends with Deepak Chopra? Well, I, I he, he was. I was shooting the original movie, so I did a little uh-huh. interview with him. And okay. it, there wasn't really a soundbite that made sense for the film, but I, I was interviewing him, and he's like, he says very, very clearly, like you know, we have, um, we don't have a tradition of spiritual teachers that comes out of not out of Western religion, not out of the church. So there isn't that tradition in America. And so we equate that the person who teaches about metaphysics or spirituality is somehow to be one to be worshipped. But if you then look at like your science teacher, who you've learned all of how to understand the entire world in physics, very few people go back to their college and worship their right. physics teacher. Even though those are just as big of ideas. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just not a department. That's brilliant. In uh, in high school, that you go to a class for, so right, right. so all of a sudden it's this profound piece of hidden wisdom. Right. When when I don't know why it necessarily has to be, um, right. and uh, and I I think I think do I mean other professors, literature professors might get you know um, have some status like that. Bring you know open when you open up a world, it's like a little bit more esoteric and it makes you think in nonlinear ways. Yeah, you know, often that has a mystery to it, but I think that. Uh, I don't think it's so much different, like the study of metaphysics. Once it becomes a subject mm-hmm. um, that we grow up learning at an early age. When like we, it is in the East, maybe. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily in the East, but there are those characters around. I mean, yeah. I grew up meeting so many religious leaders. I remember I take, like, I have to drive, my parents were like, drive drive this Swami back home, you know, or like this <laughs> pundit back to his house. And I would, you know, drop him off and go in. There's like Coke bottles everywhere. And the guy's like paperwork. It's all messed up. And I'm like, you know, clearly he did the ritual. Cool. But he has his own issues. And you got, I think you got, you got to go walk into somebody's house and, you know, see their dirty laundry. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and uh, you do that with anybody else in your life, but you don't, because we don't want to ruin it. Right. We don't walk in and, right. and see like, um, God, that's so know, funny. But but I think at an early age I saw that and and also like around gurus who had rumors around them like I remember learning about you know gurus in America who were from India who had by the time I was old enough to know what it was there were already so many people with scandals yeah 
Um, and I, you know, I think I forgot one of my relatives told me, yeah, I mean, I, my, I, I think it was an aunt or even my, maybe it was my mother, I can't remember, who said, well, you know, the general rule is if you have like one of these sadhus or this ascetics in your home, you might not want to leave your kids alone with them. Oh, really? Um, which isn't so far off from our attitude against Catholicism. But yeah. I mean, there's the same shadiness. Weird. You know? When you said that the guy was studying with eleven boys, I was like, I was wondering if you were implying that something was going on there with the celibate. Um, I mean, who knows? But you know, it, That's we, we still we're still it. really into Socrates and Plato, and I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, you know, they were doing some Socratic methods. Yeah, <laughs> I think they had their own methods, and and I mean, our, the basis of Western society might be you know b- might be on that. So you know, I don't. I don't, and I don't know if there was anything illicit in that. I mean, they're probably grown adults, but right. but I don't, I don't necessarily think. Uh, I mean, we don't worship uh, Socrates, right? But we might have, right? You know what it is to me? It's eating and fucking. Uh, science is boring. I'm going to say I, I'm actually not bored by science. I, I find it very interesting. Yeah. I was just watching the Stephen Hawking, uh, you know, explains the universe thing mm-hmm. on Netflix, and he's telling us what the moon of Jupiter weighs, and like they know what it does, and they know its orbit, and, and it's and it's fascinating. But ultimately, people care about eating and fucking. But spirituality does come down to eating or fucking. We think on some level if we if we are like enlightened and profound, mm-hmm. on some level you think you might get laid, even even if that's not necessarily your main mm-hmm. intention, or like. You'll have this wonderful meditative, enlightened sex sort of thing, and and you'll also like have some nice meals with your teacher, and you'll eat with your hands, and it'll be it'll be like a communing with the world. So it can go back to our base need, yeah, safety, love, eating, fucking. Science offers none of those. Space is very cold for a reason. Well, I mean, okay, so the Yoga Sutra is the basis of where. Most teachers in America will talk about yoga. They'll reference the Yoga Sutra sometime if they're not just teaching, you know, just an exercise class or something. Sure. The most interesting um, revisionism that I've ever I've seen in that in in American yoga is the you know the idea of celibacy, which is written into the Yoga Sutra. It is. Yeah, this is like one of the tenets of yoga. <laughs> if you are a true yogi, is to observe celibacy. That has been recreated in so many different ways by so many teachers <laughs> that it's laughable. And and because I don't give a shit whether I believe in the Yoga Sutra or the Bible or anything, right. like to me it's like, why are you lying? Like you don't have to agree with everything in that old book. You don't agree with everything in the Bible and you're talking about how crazy it is for people to believe right. everything in the Bible. And then all of a sudden you read the Yoga Sutra and it's like, yeah. I'm going to just tweak the meaning of right, celibacy. Right, right. There's chapters about floating and levitation in the Yoga Sutra, you don't have to believe in everything. Right. Um, it, it was a it was an edited book, just like the Bible was sure, edited, sure, and sure. it's a collection of ideas. But but um, we kind of reinvent things to fit into our lifestyle, and so one of the things is celibacy. And now you can say, well, I don't know, maybe the root of this word wasn't really celibacy, and and it's true that it was just uh, being uh, not promiscuous, right? Um, or being, if you're married, if you're, it's not celibate if you're married, just stick to your, like, I've or, heard Or if all, you love them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you love them, it's still we celibacy. Create, yeah, exactly. Like, well, if it's love, it's true love, right, then right, that right. is like equivalent right. to what they meant by celibacy. Is right. That you're just having right. sex with one partner. 
this is just revisionism of like a a word that just means you don't have sex. And it really has to do with like not even ejaculating semen. Right. You know? Oh, you want to keep your life force? Is that what it is? There's an element to that, you know? And so then you have this thing, well, this tantra, if you bring it into tantra, then you can have sex. Like, you just don't have to believe everything that's written a long time ago by people you never met. So... But but there's like a feeling that like well I'm going to be true to the Yoga Sutra so I'm going to do this you know yeah um, but- it, it's such a great point is is like when when you go like when I used to be I grew up very Christian and religious and I would be like well you, you got to take the whole Bible or, or none of it sort of thing yeah. if you're going to not listen to that rich person into the kingdom of heaven part you got to listen to all of it sort of thing uh, but now my opinion would really turn me off as a 16 year old is the idea that like. Why not not believe one part of it? What's yeah. the problem with dealing with each part of it and going like, this part's not really for me. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't feel true to me. I am potentially uh, you know, an in-touch spiritual person with a, a brain that mm-hmm. God gave me, and I don't, I don't like this part. I don't think this is right. And some knucklehead just like me, like you said a couple thousand years ago, wrote it. What's the difference between him and me? I don't I don't think yeah. this part's good. I mean, he also could have been like Patanjali wrote it down and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to write this down." I'm sure the other yogis are like, "Oh, you're going to write that down?" Right. You fancy pants. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're the guy you're going to try to sell out? Like yeah. maybe he was the big sellout. The right guy was the worst guy. For he had the worst ideas. I mean, maybe those guys were all meditating in caves and he's like, "You know what? I'm going to write this down well, that's and I'm going to memorize it and then I'm going to be the guy who made the yoga sutra." Right. We don't we don't know. Right. He maybe was the he biggest He was probably the hack. He yeah. was the hack of the group. Yeah, he's the guy like who he was the, you know, a, a lot of Indian people Indian people in that in Deepak Chopra's generation would be like, "Oh, he's just the guy who brought it to the West and related right. this information. What right. a sellout, you right. know? But he's the one taking pictures at the concert instead of just enjoying the concert. He's posting the YouTube video of it instead of just being exactly. there. Exactly. So and maybe Patanjali is the same thing. <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever. But th- but we assume that, no, that's like... And, right. Um, uh, you know, and, and also like the idea of like, even when I, if I say this in like yoga centers or in those communities, like the same thing with like Buddha, you're like, don't step on the, you know, you can't say that about, how right. could you say that? And I was like, you got, everyone else is making jokes about Christ all the time. Yeah. Um, but like, it's a new revered thing that we don't want to, it's not like I, I, I'm interested in bashing anything, but right. use the same, uh, you know, generally treat everything the same, right? Right. I mean, there's nothing... But that quote even, the uh, wonderful quote, if you're going to have one quote from uh, Buddhism in yeah. your movie, it yeah. would be the one that you included. When which, you meet the Buddha, would, kill the Buddha. When you meet the Buddha, yeah, kill yeah, the Buddha. Because yeah. sh- there shouldn't be a Buddha. There shouldn't be a thing that we don't joke about. There shouldn't right. be a thing that we're all like, oh, should, 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 should be reverent and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're all Buddha. Yeah. That doesn't, doesn't that just mean the one who knows or something? Yeah, one who's awakened. One who's awakened. Yeah. Bo- Bodhi tree, tree of awakening. Yeah, Buddhist. but I think it's the last, it's supposed to be sort of the last veil is is you focus on Buddhism and Buddha, and then you realize the last veil is the reification or like the deification of this yeah. um, this this icon that you've said, well, this has the answer. And like, no, actually, that's an illusion too. Yes. And that would be, I think, Zen or, you know, that's kind of what, where Zen goes and but um, yeah, I mean that's kind of this bit. We didn't discover that while making the movie. We right. Uh, we we f- the guy said it. Yeah. And at this sort of like pivotal time, and we're like, yeah. that's amazing that perfect. he said that. You it's know, perfect that he said it. Um, it, 
and, and because you you commit you committed Buddha suicide. That's what you did. Yeah, that should have been what it was called. Buddha yeah. suicide. Sepoku. Nobody would see it. Yeah, Budoku. Yeah. <laughs> we were gonna. We thought about calling the movie "Kill the Guru." Really? Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Um, um, and that we we thought about that. I think one of the reasons is I just didn't. You know, I really wanted uh, it to be. I wanted. I wanted to somebody. I didn't want it to all be about the philosophy of it, though. Like, I thought there's something necessary about people being like, I like the idea of Kumare. Yes. And let's let's be hopeful. Like, yeah. We all want to believe in Kumari, and that to me was a more optimistic yes, way of yes, making yes. the movie. Kill the Guru like, is the negative version. Yeah. Words being, I would say, important. Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah. Just the things that we say. That, that's what was so funny about Kumar as, as a guy was he was very careful about his words, I think. We yeah. We actually don't see you talk too much. No, it's, it's funny. Yeah, I don't really talk. I mean, because actually Kumar's <laughs> conversations were like, it wasn't necessarily like it was like, I wasn't joking with people. I think that's why also it's really confusing after we made the film. Because I would give like two hour lectures. <laughs> That, part of which I had, you know, thought of before, and some of that was just completely extemporaneous. You were free to be that thing. It's the version of I, I say this on the show all the time, but they talk about the the virtue of people would put on masks in tribal ceremonies that look at their reflection, and then they'd behave as such. So you were wearing this costume and being yeah. this thing. Of course, you could give a two hour sermon because you gave that yourself. You had the imagination to give yourself. What would a guru say? What would I say if I allowed myself to be a teacher? I bet yeah. you could have talked for three hours. You know what I mean? Just following people, looking in that sort of support and that yeah. trust, and you playing that role. You know, it, it, it's fu- it's also it's funny. Uh, when I was growing up, I would hear these. Uh, I would listen to gurus speak at ashrams and things when I was a kid. And they would tell these long rambling stories and there was like a little nugget that I would understand or like I didn't fully understand. And then I would hold on to that. And I was like, that's interesting. That story about the snake and the rope Mm -hmm. or the light and the lamp or Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And I think when I was doing Kumari, there was a lot of stuff that nobody understood. Like like my accent was thick. I would take what I was thinking in my head and turn it into broken English Mm -hmm. and then tell the story in the sort of nonlinear fashion. And I think that oftentimes people didn't understand for the f- two hours what I was talking about. But in those two hours, one, um, one thing there was like one or two things that were fucking brilliant, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, because yeah, if you yeah, talk yeah, for yeah. two hours, you're going to say something yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what this whole <laughs> yeah. podcast is about. <laughs> Go, keep going, keep going. Something yeah. will be in there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Even the broken English, I think, is liberating. When I'm here on this show, I'm trying to speak as intelligently as I can. But if I was pretending that this was my second language, I, it forces you to simplify it a little bit. And now you just you're just saying like the base thing, and it leaves more room for interpretation from the listener. Yeah, like when you say things like, "I'm the biggest faker I know," there's there's a, there's some foreign tolerance there where they're like, "Who knows what he means by right. that?" Some of the people spoke a lot louder and like slower to you and that sort <laughs> yeah. of stuff. Tool, I love that part where he shows you what a tool <laughs> by digging in the air. But like it also there there's something kind of in your favor to that just saying like what did he mean when he said that just speaking more slowly and also under the umbrella of the benefit of the doubt yeah you know what I was thinking I I wanted to put this to you they were talking uh, one of my friends Duncan Trussell who you would really love we talk about this stuff a lot we were talking about the guy who wrote down the stuff I think that's really interesting Mm -hmm. so we have all these enlightened people and then there's there's fucking Larry the schmo that that (laughs) breaks away to write uh he he told me this really interesting thing about enlightened people, and maybe you've heard it before, is it's like a plane crashes into the Arctic 
and everybody's in the frozen water and you actually swim up and break out of the ice and now you're up on the on the land and you're freezing mm -hmm. and that's an enlightened person mm -hmm. he, he realizes what happened he knows where he is blah blah uh the the teacher is the guy that jumps back into the water and swims back down and gets somebody and that's how unpleasant it is in the story of the buddha after he reaches enlightenment, he's seriously tempted, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you know this, with not telling anybody because of the hassle of telling people. Like he's reached this nirvana and this bliss. So why dive back into the ice sort of thing? Why not just hole up in a cave and just exist on nothing? Yeah, or why not just go back and get his kingdom? Yeah, I know that would be awesome. Yeah, go to the kingdom with your wife and your child, you deadbeat yeah, dad. Yeah, go back. <laughs> and fucking eat some ham. Stop hanging out. Stop being a trustafarian. Yeah. <laughs> he, had to, he never even considered that. He had a birthright kingdom. He could have gone back. Yeah, I mean, what, what, didn't we all want, don't we all really just want an enlightened king? Mm -hmm. And he had the chance. And don't we all just want to be an enlightened and king? And he decided to start a religion. Yeah, instead. As opposed to just being an enlightened king, which he could have been. <laughs> Changing the face of politics. Forever. Yeah, and government forever. Oh, my God. Why didn't he do that? Well, maybe because he didn't exist. Possibly. Is that, is that what do you think? <laughs> what, do I think he existed? I mean, I think that there... And I'm not saying I mean, where it's as likely that he existed as um, anyone else during that period of, of history. I, I don't know. I mean, the the Buddha, I think, though... There seems to be, I think, with the stories of you know other of, of older Indian, slightly mythological style people, um, there there are clear references. Like it's it's Krishna. Um, it's less likely that Krishna was a person mm -hmm. um, that you know than 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 the Buddha just by age, you know, because they're like, well, Krishna's like ten thousand twenty twenty right. million years right, old right, or whatever. Right. It's like and Moses it, and all that sort. Of yeah, thing. I mean, it's. I think it's more likely that that the Buddha was a one person because there's sort of a dynasty and there's a lineage of kings and then uh, you know, I mean, I think part of the reason that we know about him is because he was heir to a throne it's like you know right. you wouldn't have heard about the enlightened guru who's teaching right. who didn't have sort of the access in the pole right 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 you know, he had where'd, that, where'd that guy go yeah and uh, I mean he also is the son I, I mean I, I don't want to be I I think that the Buddhism by its nature is it was the most intelligent of and more the most intelligent of, of religions out there so it's like logic based you know yes um but uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's also molded to it's it's made for us and it's made for it's a it's a story about let me tell you see it sounds familiar like a wealthy kid yeah. um, is is sort of upset he can't really get down with his wealth he decides <laughs> that he needs to look outside of his world and see what the real life is and what he discovers is there's a lot of people out there who are suffering mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and then he realizes that the world isn't just about being a wealthy kid. Um, that maybe uh, maybe there's something else to it. So he goes and hangs out, you know, slums it for a while, and uh, <laughs> and kind of comes up with his philosophy of the world, and then um, sort of has the confidence at that point to teach it. Mm -hmm. It's not that different than necessarily the story that I that my story making the movie going to India and and it's not so different than like yeah no, everyone, it is similar oh my god it, I didn't a, get the point you were making well, that's but, what you did but I but I mean it's also not so similar different than like everyone I kind of know and grow up with is like 
you know, who wants to understand the world in a deeper way is like, go travel, go see the world. It's not all about joining a bank or becoming this thing that you're supposed to, you're you're fed to to believe in as a kid. Go out and experience the world and come up with your own worldview. And we're all taught to do that. And Buddhism is very much like that. Um, And so to me, it's like, it is fitting that it makes sense to to a certain population in America. And I think, whereas the Jesus story is about a, a poor kid who had divinity in him, regardless... Even though he was born in you know in a manger, mm-hmm. you know in a barn with the animals, God was actually in him, and he was actually really the king mm-hmm. hidden in the body of a poor child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of like this reversal of roles. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, it's it's the it's going up the hill. Buddha went down the hill. Yeah, I mean, missionaries in India are killing it because they're like, look at your story. You know, this is the Jesus story. It's just like your story. Oh yeah, you're a poor, poor person, but God's in you. But God's in you, and God loves you. Yeah, and you don't need to be. So I, I, it's interesting how like it, it sort of. It, it, it sort of matches yeah. our times. You know? And you know, you're blowing my dick off because <laughs> because one of the things I thought, and I think about this all the time, I'm a showbiz jerk, all right? That's my truth, uh-huh. is I get paid to do something that I do for pleasure right? because I'm a comedian. Now, you're doing this movie, and I'm watching it as a showbiz jerk, and I'm going to say, because I don't think it's a bad thing, you're also a showbiz jerk. You're making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to come in today. I'm going to call you a jerk. But what I mean is, one of the reasons I'm being stirred by the movie, maybe in a way that the uh, average uh, American who's not in show business is is being affected by mm-hmm. it, and I almost mean kind of negatively, as I'm watching it, and um, you're in, what is the name of the blonde woman, the single mother? Well, Kimberly's Kimberly. Home. Yeah, Kimberly was the was the woman that made me cry. I found her to be beautiful, and I, I she's an amazing, actually, really amazing person. I could tell you did yeah. a great job with the film because that came through, and that's a kind of a qual- I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it. Anyway, you go into her home, and you see her. Look, I, I'm I'm not shitting on her home at all. You don't see that much of it, but it's modest. She talks about working three jobs to send her, her kids to college. Yeah. She talks about sleeping three hours a night. You know what I mean? And all that sort of stuff. And, and she doesn't live in a palace. You know, like her, her means don't reflect her beauty is what I'm saying. So here's this person who should be, you know, by what, I'm te- what I can tell from her, mm-hmm. rewarded by society. Now, here I am, somebody who uh, – and I'm not trying to brag. I'm, in fact, I'm doing the opposite. I go and do a show and I might make – what, what someone like her would make in a week or two, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, depending. Now, I have a, a certain level of guilt about that. And here comes you, and you're making a film, and you're pretending to be a guru. You're, you're really making mm-hmm. this film. And I'm not saying the film is making you wealthy. I know documentaries are not necessarily lucrative or anything. But you are living this different life. You're living a little bit of a Buddha life, Buddha before he leaves the kingdom, in that you're creative, you're fulfilled. People give a shit about what you have to say. You pitch something. People said, yes, we want you to do that. They let you do that. So you're getting that artistic, creative fulfillment. You have these uh, women with you that are playing along, and you're filming, and you get to edit it. You get to release it, and mm-hmm. then you get to be praised for it and all this sort of stuff. But then you go out, just as Buddha did, and you see the sick guy, and you see the poor guy, and you see the dead guy. And I'm not saying that Kimberly is those things, but you see her suffering, empty nest working really hard, and for very, very little. Similarly, you could say something similar about all of the people that you ran into, about to be divorced. Um, The the law of attraction people, I I thought Mm -hmm. there was something humanly sad. I'm not not pitying them. I'm just saying there there was a heart to them. And underneath all of that, 
you're making a movie. You're in the razzle-dazzle business. You know what I mean? You're in the sparkle show. This is going to be shown on a big screen and you're going to wear a tie. And the, and the mm-hmm. car that takes you there would be $60. Again, please, everybody listening, I know you get what I'm saying. I'm not saying that makes you better. I'm saying to some people $60 is the difference between a good weekend and a bad weekend. Like I want $60. I really would like $60. And that's what your fucking stupid black car, I'm talking to me now, costs. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So you, does that make sense? You are the show business Buddha. I'm the show business Buddha. And when we go out, and when we reconnect with the real world, not the show world, the real world, and you meet somebody like Kimberly, who really is, uh, I hate terms like salt of the earth, but just a real person. I'm living this fictional life that's not real at all. Then you see somebody with, with family, with pain, and all that fucking calloused hands and lack of rest. And, you know, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that... Um... <laughs> I think there is a, a slight illusion about the the ease of um making an independent movie because it's definitely um I, I mean oh, that's got to be really difficult. throughout the whole process I'm like what am I doing this is definitely the hardest this is one of the hard, more harder paths in my life I could have taken yeah 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 but but I understand I think that be, before coming out to California for a bit I've lived most of my uh, my adult life in downtown New York or Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and I, you know, my life is fictional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's whether or not uh, I ever imagined it back, like living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, whether this was somehow a glamorous lifestyle. When I do go to the rest of the U.S. or other places, I realize, yeah, I'm in touch with what. I'm, I'm I'm around celebrity. I'm around interesting people doing interesting things, innovative right. things, right. and that energy is you know rubbing off on me. And uh, and it's a little bit of a kingdom. I used to live in yeah. Williamsburg too. It's a little bit of a it, palace it, it feel. Is, it is. A, it is. A, it is a kingdom. Like in downtown New York is a a, a mall slash kingdom yeah. of of people who either um, live have major big means or they live beyond their means in in a slight fantasy of it right. but we have you know we have the best food we have we we have the we have interesting conversations on it you know right, things that right, transcend right, right. us above just ta- watching TV and talking about well, what things, was on TV on last night you know? in Buddha's time being brought food being brought a gra- they could tell you what the cow was fed and it's brought to you <laughs> yeah. as you sit in leisure with your other <laughs> creative friend and go oh maybe that w- we should pitch that to Pixar yeah. and eat the meal <laughs> right. that's insane well, I mean there, that's there is- better than Buddha's life probably yeah, well I think yeah Buddha, Buddha's life was probably like as you know, a king, I where mean. yeah, where did this? Oh, where did this food come from? It came from your kingdom's farm. Yeah, that's out in the countryside, and you right. know, and I'm sure you could go take a tour. It's like this yeah. Portlandia. Joke it's very from, similar to Portlandia. Uh, I'm sure he could have done that. <laughs> it's in the slow food movement, and um, yeah. I like that. You know, but uh, but is sitting there having all these options. Yeah, but then yeah. the slumming it part. Which we relate to more as what Buddhism is, and not we forget that that he came from that, you know, that sort of place of leisure in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I there's a philosophy that I've only really heard in American translation of yoga um, and of, of of sort of Hindu ideas like karma of the idea that yogis are being reborn in America, 
and I, f- I actually have found that one of the most defensive things that I've ever heard. Defensive? E- offensive. Offensive. Uh, the idea that there are real yogis now being born in America. There's as this, white people. Uh, yeah, or just yeah, in America. <laughs> they're probably taking that form. Yeah. But there's something disturbing about we, – we think about you have to reach a certain level in order to now take on spiritual um, pursuits. Yeah. And and I think there is a truth to that, and there's also a darkness in that, and and also, in in, in a way, I think that's what confuses us a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea of eating good and living long and having a comfortable life is not a spiritual. That's not that's you taking care of yourself. That's me, me, me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's what we call spiritual, but but I think that maybe now how we assume spirituality to be is part of that like yeah. being the idea of like being I, I remember in the, you know in the beginning of Kumare I I do these poses like out in India like on mm-hmm. a you know mountainous area uh-huh. um, and it, part of the joke was like yeah that guy looks like a spiritual guy like no that's a really flexible dude that's yeah. just a really flexible guy or an athletic guy right, right, but right. you don't see a gymnast you see a gymnast doing that and you're like that guy must be really wise right well if you were wearing a unitard yeah, and had a, a close haircut. Yeah, no one would have given two exactly. shits about you. But you're wearing what is the wrap? Uh, a lunguti, lunguti. That's uh, the sort of a thong, the Indian fancy thong, thong fancy yeah. thong. And I that that scene. I'm glad you spoke to that because I was like, how did they get this footage? The fucking the title shot of the movie is. <laughs> well, I I thought yeah. about you seeing that later and going, <laughs> fucking great job, <laughs> whoever shot. I'm sure you know who shot it. Fucking amazing shot. Perfectly yeah. pulling out on you above the crowd. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I feel like I kind of derailed you. Well, no. I, well, I, I just think that that's confusing. Like we now associate that um, sort of idea of having everything. Yes. Okay. And the then me, me, not me taking stuff. it. You know, like oh, I'm, I am very. I can. I can own everything, but I will. Fast, right, right, like right, right. this is sort of, and this is sort of our ideal. I mean, like I have the same idea. Like, yeah, I just need financial security, and then I don't want anything. Like, I'm a mad. Right. But I think of my own personal, um, you know, heaven is like, yeah, let me just, I'll just have enough money to operate my life, right. fly wherever I want, and I'll live in a little shack in Tulum, Mexico, or something like. I can't. You're speaking directly <laughs> into my heart, and these are challenging thoughts. I have the same fantasies where I go. I would love to live on a commune. I would mm-hmm. love to live simply. I'd love to grow my own food. I'm the jerk when I see that guy, uh, the, the, the weird guy, uh, and everybody's kind of off the grid. There's yeah. part of me that's like, I bet they're, li- they're experiencing a different kind of happiness than I am. And I'm like, I'd do that as soon as I have $5 million. Because if I change my mind, I got to be able to come back and fucking vacation yeah. in Reno. Or, oh, I don't know why I And I, I do Reno. know people who live like that. Yeah, and some of them are really awesome people. Yeah, but um, it's not like that clears up all of your other shit, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like you're, it's like, not the answer. If you're an asshole, you're still an asshole who just did that. Yeah, but the, the, I, you know, what else is kind of convicting me to use a Christian word? Ugh. <laughs> but I do feel convicted is the idea that it is all about me when I meditate. Uh, my teacher tried to teach me not to do this. Uh, I would be like, "Oh, I had a really good one the other day," and she was like, "They're all good ones," and I was like. All right, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> but it was good meaning what? What does that mean? It means I got an endorphin rush. It means I went into the blissful place. Yeah. That the Mah- I, I do transcendental, so the Maharishi mm-hmm. sort of 
giggly. I've laughed. I've cried a little bit. All that sort of stuff. So I have more emotions. And what is that? It's more endorphins. It's more pleasure. And when they're even the way it's taught in the West is that. TM is taught as a, as a stress reliever. It's mm-hmm. taught as a, as a recharging thing. Seinfeld, who does it, talked about it. It's like plugging in your cell phone. That's what you do with yourself. So mm-hmm. even that is a selfish pursuit. And this is how we frame all of this stuff. And then, like, all of these things that I'm doing, I, I also do yoga. And I do that. Why? Because I want to quiet down my head. I want to quiet down my head and I want, to, I want to look good or exercise and sweat. And when I'm done, I sleep better. It's all me, 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 me. I don't even know how I could frame I do yoga for other people or I do yoga for some sort of greater purpose. I mean, I think that you have to, you know, I think there's some truth to loving yourself. You know, you have to love yourself in order to love other people. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. Um, but I also think, but I, and, and I do think there's to some degree being you know, having your shit together allows you to be a better friend. I That's mean, true. I mean, I think those are definitely things, but that is just your base. It's like brushing your teeth is good for other people, so you don't have terrible breath. Yes, and you can hang out with them, and they don't feel weird. Hang, you know, like yes. you take care of yourself. People who don't take care of themselves, their friends are like, man, he's got to get his shit together. Not because. Uh, not because it's such a big deal. It's yeah. mostly just because it's harder to hang out with somebody. Yeah, I think that. I, I think that in some brush your spirit teeth. In, yeah, I mean, in some degree, like if we in our modern life need to meditate because we um, our brains are so jammed with bullshit. Yeah, and we need to practice yoga because we sit in chairs all day. Yeah, then perhaps like maybe that's something that. We will then be like, yeah, just like brushing your teeth. Right. You should, you know. It will make you better as a friend. If I, if I have the rush or the, or the health that yoga provides, when I meet my friend for dinner afterwards, and this is true. I, I've gone to meet friends after a yoga yeah. class. I will be more engaged. I will be more present. I will be more loving and tolerant. Not always. Sometimes I'll be grumpy. But sometimes right. if it worked, quote unquote. Yeah, or just on a, just having like uh, – I just – what I mean is if, if it helps you get your shit together, yeah. then it, same thing with – it could be running though. It could be running sure. or it could be lifting weights or it could be you know, just masturbating you know, right. because that's what – the the number if you don't masturbate three times a day, you're a then you're becoming you're a jerk to everyone. That right. might be it. Um, although I think you know you could say the same thing about smoking, but I think clearly that's that's going to end badly. So right. what, so so but we have created. But I don't think if you're able to do a one handed one hand handstand that you're all of a sudden going to be a better friend. Right. Um, right. Or even if you can touch your toes or not, I just think whatever gets you through it, so you don't you don't end up being a jerk to your friends, right? And that might be yoga, or might be something totally different. Well, it's, it's funny when you mentioned archery, which I just let go mm-hmm. because, and then I, I quietly thought about it a little bit while we were talking because you were t- saying that the teach the meditation yoga, and then as your third example, you said archery, and I was like, that doesn't sound right. Then I was like, I could make some cheap joke, or I could think about it. And I chose to mm-hmm. think about it, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, that must be some sort of breath holding, intense concentration. Zen moment, which made me think that there's a there's a moving meditation to a lot of things. Right. You yeah. know, when I asked, um, I forget. It doesn't matter who it was. I asked yeah. somebody on the show if they meditated, and they said, uh, "No, I play tennis, though." And I was like, "Yeah, that's the right answer." <laughs> so yes, you do meditate. It's ten, or it is jerking off. A lot of my mm-hmm. life is trying to like those Sims. Did you ever play the Sims? 
Uh, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, no, not not too much, but yeah. But you know, they have those lev- levels: hunger, oh, yeah. social, right? What tired, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I'm always trying to figure out which which uh, combination makes me at my best. Right. And it's funny. Jerking off comes into play. Food comes into play. Exercise comes into play. Sleep hugely comes into play. Uh, I've said many times on the show the idea that like I can be. Uh, I'm trying to be a little bit like Kumari and that I like to be happy. Mm-hmm. I like to be blindly loving. Uh, and, and that's something that I'm going for. I'd like people to see me that way because it helps me be that way. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm probably sleeping more than you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Pete seems so happy to see me. Pete slept 10 hours last night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was indoors. <laughs> what was it like sleeping outside? Well, in Arizona that time of year, it's perfect. I mean, it's... There is nothing ascetic about sleeping outdoors except I mean it's just the perfect weather in Arizona from yeah. like March to March to um June really like amazing weather and um so sleeping it I, there was an organic nature to it like one of the things was I was in a house so you're making a movie and I'm like the director I'm in it I, I'm trying to focus I've never really acted before so I'm like method acting and and so you know, just taking it to that next level and also just being separated from everyone a little bit so yeah. I could just kind of wake up in the morning and and sit outside and do whatever weird meditation yoga thing yeah, I want, yeah, yeah, not yeah, feel yeah. self-conscious yeah. and just like get into it. That was uh, that was a big deal. And then it just kind of like, you know, let me just live this sort of altered life. Yeah. Um, and it's actually quite easy to do. Uh but but it seems so strange, like yeah. we're sleeping outside. It's not really it's the weather. It's like the, you know we had a- AC in the house, yeah, and um, you know it dries you out. And I'm just like I'm in Arizona. Just go outside, yeah. Um, but that was kind of it was a sort of an organic thing. And that way at night sometimes you know people would turn on the TV and, or you know or whatever was happening. Oh, you'd have, hear it. Well, I just like don't, you know, I needed to go to bed super early and wake up really early and be like, wake up with the sunrise and be Kumare, you yeah. know, and the, the second I woke up and then, and then, uh, you know, I would look, I would disappear and look at some footage in the end of the night and then kind of go and sleep on my own, have my own weird schedule and, right, right, right. and not get caught up in, if I was on the crew of the movie or I, I wasn't the focus of it, I'd probably hang out at night. You know, right, right, right. let's watch a movie. Let's do right. this. But I, I did everything very much like on the schedule. And- it reminds me what you did, and one of the reasons why I think what you did: giving yourself permission to sleep outside, giving yourself permission to be this happy guy, and do the meditating and do yoga outside. And not, it, it reminds me of summer camp, which is like one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. I went to summer camp in junior high, and I loved it because it, it's just a place that gives you permission to do the chicken dance or whatever. Right, right. There's something about dancing. You dance in the movie. And that's one of those things, like, we have a block in our minds. Like, it, we all know it's fun to dance. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, You're at a wedding and you want to dance. But we actually live in a world where you probably, everybody has to get drunk to dance or they need other people dancing with them to dance. But, like, there's, some, there's a spiritual truth in that permission. You did it in a movie. But mm-hmm. I think we can all do it in our lives, which is give yourself permission to dance and not care if you look stupid and not care, uh, you know, what people are thinking and, and kind of put that on yourself. Since doing the movie, have you tried to maintain that green light for yourself to be like, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to connect. It's a blue light. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I do. I think anytime I get in those situations, you know, any awkwardness of like dancing, I always think back about 
you know, and question like why why am I awkward or why do I feel blocked or something? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I've already gone through this experience. I think there's certain things that. Sorry. For me, that um, haven't gone away. Like I, I very rarely feel like I'm in an awkward situation anymore. Like, really, I, I think that there is a. Um, that's awesome. There's a, there's a, a drug that's in honesty. Like there's mm. something that, like, once you're able to look at somebody and and say, like, I fucked up. You know, people don't do that, and I don't think I'm ever really afraid to do that. You know, that's great. Um, because I can't imagine, um, you know, sort of letting a secret out that anything more crazy than I'm not even remotely close to the person you thought I was. It's, I mean, so, so, uh, yes. you know, that's the most awkward yes. thing that I, I could ever imagine doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so beyond that, but, but so awkwardness, I think, has gone away. But I think, you know, that it's funny how, um, you really feel, you can, you can really feel if you've if you've had no inhibitions and then felt felt those coming back how um you know how how mental they are and how, how much yeah. we've created them and i think a lot of times when people go away you go to a far far off place people come to new york and california and change their start name start over yeah i mean or start I, a new school yeah you're like they don't know i'm not cool i'll be cool exactly yeah totally like give me a toothpick um i mean i'm actually it's like hanging out with a bunch of people who have spiritual names in the kundalini community and uh and i you know i it's it's interesting when i first started asking people why would they change their names not necessarily in kundalini or in other communities there um somebody articulated like well that's how you remember you remember that you're a spiritual being is by having a new name and there's something completely mundane. I don't think I ever had that problem. My name's Vikram Gandhi. So like right. so there wasn't like, oh, do I have the chance of being someone holy? Like right. my last name's Gandhi. Like, yeah, I have it's within grasp. Like but I, but we are like people change their name to Vikram Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people who are like, Why did you change your name? Why weren't you just Vikram Gandhi? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I guess that makes sense. But just Gandhi, like, but people are people have asked me, how did you get that name? Like, I want that name, and yeah. I'm like, I don't have any answers for that. Like, right, right, right. Per- Gandhi means perfume seller. Like, it doesn't mean the anointed one. It doesn't even it mean like a good perfume seller. It just means like yeah. it's equivalent of like a guy who sells funny oils on Venice Beach. Yes, yeah. that would be a Gandhi. You know, <laughs> that's it's awesome. Not you know. It, yeah, funny incense like that. That's somebody who smell who sells something that smells good. Yeah, um, but it sounds super holy. Yeah, you know. But that mental trick of changing your name and changing who you are and the mental blocks. Yeah, I just think that's so fucking interesting. And, and that's a little bit of what we're trying to do on the show. When I invite people on the show, I didn't really do it with you. I'm just like, what if we just pretend up here? There's nothing you can say to me that I won't and you won't. Love and respect. We call it like a like a safe kind of treehouse vibe. Okay, and so I'll just pretend. But I, I said, but what what is what's the what's the premise of the show? Are we are we on? You made it weird. What is That's it the name weird? Of the show. Uh, we yo okay yeah. You made it weird. I guess being that you don't you're not supposed I, to. You talk. all of a sudden made me think I made it weird. But I knew no, that you, na- you didn't make it weird. Yeah no but you, but uh, but you but when you said that I I thought. Uh, did I just make it weird? Oh, no. I thought you were being sarcastic, but that is the name of the show, and I that remember is. that, yeah. Well, that always gives us, see, what you're talking about being awkward. Yeah. If we make making it weird a good thing, which is just yeah, yeah. a mental block. Yeah. If I say something to you, and we get that rush of blood to our arms and our face, yeah. 
and our hair stands up on our neck and we're just like and we go like but that's what the show is yeah. and it's not a bad thing anymore it's a good thing no, this is just yeah. rewriting the code and then the the mission of the show for me was I'm a, I have a hard time admitting I did something wrong and, and it's not because I'm like a huge mm-hmm. fucking monster but what you're saying is admitting like hey I'm fucked up like I used to have a hard time telling people I'm divorced now a large group of people know I'm divorced and enjoy that about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was, it's this kind of manufacturing of love. Love being a choice. Being able to green or blue light your way to a more loving existence right. with yourself and with people and having that be deliberate. I know we've kind of already made this point. I can't make that point enough. This is just a pretend room. Katie's here. You're here. We have microphones. And all I want in my life... Nobody's actually going to listen to this. This is no, just, this not, is just not to this point. conversations. Not to this point. <laughs> well, that's another beautiful thing. It's funny that you say that, but I'm watching this movie... And I go, I pick up my fucking boss man phone. I go, get me Vikram. <laughs> now, it would be, well, isn't that a lesson I could learn from this show that, that, we, that maybe someone else could even learn? Is it like, I wanted to talk to you. Okay, that's part A. Part B is, I need a Kumare. I, do, I have a Kumare. You're talking to him. It's this guy. It's the host of a podcast. Right. If I was like, and I've said this a million times, you've never met me. I watched your movie. Sit down with me for two, two and a half hours. That's what I said in the email. I was like, it usually takes a little over two hours. Yeah. There's a good chance. I mean, maybe you'd be into it. But like, there's a chance that if we're not recording, if we're not calling it a show, or if we're not calling it a yoga class, if we're not talking, ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. calling it a meditation. We're like looking at each other. We're facing each other. And we're listening to each other. I could do this forever. That's what I'm fucking forever. saying. <laughs> That's what I'm fucking saying. It's a human need... And we need to give ourselves excuses, whether it's a guru or a show. We call it some sort of thing that people yeah. can consume. Some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life were on the show because people open up and they go like, oh, this is the show where it's okay to say whatever I want to say. What does that sound like? It sounds like love, doesn't it? It's, it's a manufactured, loving environment. I can't necessarily be this loving all the time. Like, I've thought about that. If it was my girlfriend. Do you always, do you always hold another man this deeply, like the way that we're touching each other? Because <laughs> this is a, such a strong embrace. <laughs> no, I've never had anyone say that to me, but I feel that way every time. Yeah, I weird. get all excited. I mean, Go. Yeah. yeah, please. I mean, I'll hold your hand for the next hour. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Okay, so one of the things that Kumare did was physical touch. I remember my first chiropractor. I actually haven't been to it. I was just a little car accident. That's why I'm going to one now. But before I went to one, and he told me something interesting where he goes, you'd be surprised how many people come to me just for me to touch them. And that's a spiritual thing, the laying on of hands, the anointing of oil. Mm-hmm. There's something mildly erotic, not even sexual, but there's something intimate about having someone draw a symbol on your forehead and sing a little bit. When those people are being moved when you do that in the movie, that's genuine. I know you know that's genuine. Yeah. And that's, again, the point of the movie. But like, And then when you listen to Kimberly in that scene that made me cry is the idea that we need someone to listen. All you're doing is listening. But then listening, touching, singing, dancing, just sitting in a room together like fucking hippos at a hippo funeral. You know, hippos have funerals. We need that community. We need to be listened to. We need to be touched. And, and I, I think I'm just getting excited about the message that there's nothing special about you doing that. And the gifts that we have to give each other are right there 
in the moment. You know what I mean? You can call someone. Have you ever had a cashier call you my love or something? Mm-hmm. It works. It fucking works. What can I get you? Like, I, a sassy diner waitress yeah. calls me honey. Yeah. And I'm like, I am honey. Yeah. I'm the sweetest fucking honey. <laughs> Put me in your tea. I want to run away with you, you 50-year-old woman named Dawn. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, uh, that, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think actually, I, I think there's a sadness to the fact that we we need to engage in some sort of commerce attached to it. Like the fact that I, I, I think, you know, part, part of what's interesting in the last, uh, you know, few months for me is i've been out here in 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 california and i love it here and it's it's like paradise and you know, living in venice and but oh, well, yeah but you know in new york and i think in in asia and i think a lot of the world we're a little more congested you're like around people and and here there's a, a space in between and and i understand a little bit more about sort of yeah let's go to class and have this interaction why do why isn't self practice of yoga the main form of yoga happening yeah, in America? Yeah, yeah. It's really not. It's because of community and interest in being around somebody and right. having go through some ritual together. Right. And it's like I think those rituals are taken out. You know, we're all a little bit like you know bahumbug around like rituals. You know, it's religion. I don't want to be part of that. But like we forget that those rituals have a, a human reason and right. they're not necessarily about religion. They could be pagan or they could just be human. There's right. a reason that like there are r- rituals around, uh, you know, birth around uh, every religion has something around 13 or 14 for, for uh, someone going through puberty and mm-hmm. adulthood and, and the same thing about death and, all of those things help us deal with it. And then we have these like rituals that people go to church and if they don't, they can go to yoga center, but generally mm-hmm. like go, f- go somewhere, drowned out bullshit, get into a good place with everybody, feel like love around you. Right. Just make feel that some body heat next to you. Yeah. Be, be in like a crowded place. That's something that, um, isn't that, isn't that weird? And because we don't, we have to, I think is there some sadness attached to it when you start being like, no, I need to pay for this to happen. Yeah. And now I love this teacher because they're really nice to make me feel good. Like you don't want that commerce. You want to cultivate that in the rest of your life. Right. Um, but if you don't, then you go to a place and I think it's just not, a, it's about like, no, you can actually create those environments for free it's for free with people around you and you just have to find that place that that happens and we just don't because we're like no that's no i'll just get i'll just make that person makes me feel good so i'll just keep going to that right and pay them there's i I think we like buying things i I know part of us would prefer things were free but the the investment of like i spend my money on kale and yoga that makes me feel good instead of heroin and pornography, right. although I like one of those. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which one. But uh, I have the same thing. When I was in New York, my need to do yoga wasn't really there because I'm a bit of an empath. I you know, absorb energies around yeah. me. So being on the subway was often very overwhelming. Like I would you know, wear the noise-canceling earphones yeah. and stuff and often read something, not because I'm a, a dick, I don't think, but because it, it's, it's too much. I was just having a conversation with Mike Rubiglia's wife, who's a wonderful artist and very, very, um, what's the word, uh, intuitive. 
not psychic, but just like a, uh-huh. a like somebody that gets things and yeah. can get a feeling for somebody very quickly. And we were relating to the feeling of like sometimes humanity is too much. Sometimes looking at Kimberly's face or looking at um, what was the ex Coke guy, Greg? Yeah, Greg. Greg's yeah. face. These faces, but you see them on the subway, and you're in the same little place going from you know Bedford to First Avenue, and you have that time under the water yeah. together, and you're looking at it. it can be overwhelming. Like people's uh-huh. humanity can be overwhelming. So in New York, you almost got a little too much, and now in LA, I'm alone in my apartment. Then I'm alone right. in my car. Then right. I, I I have this time. It's probably it's. I didn't need a podcast in New York. In fact. Most of the podcasts are in L.A. You don't right. need a podcast in New York. If I didn't talk to you today, I would have talked to very few people, and most of it would have been texting. Right, 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 right. That, yeah. kind, of, that kind of breaks my heart a little bit. And yeah. then uh, what I think is beautiful with podcasts, too, is then people get to listen to this when they would just be at work thinking about whatever. Mm-hmm. Now they can participate in a, in a weird third way. To listen to these conversations. Right, right. I know I'm talking a lot about the virtue of podcasting, but... It's meta. It goes along with... I just like to yeah. think of them listening to this and, yeah. and how they come into it. Because I think the humanity being recorded here can be consumed later. Right. I hope it can. Have you heard about any of those guys? Thank you, Katie. We get a light at 90. How are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, good. The um, I hear sometimes about those guys, uh, again, from my friend Duncan, who I should introduce you to because you would really get a kick out of him. He's my spiritual uh, friend who is just into everything, but in this really fun, not too weird way. Mm-hmm. Perfectly amount of weird. He was telling me about these people that they're, I'm sure you've heard them, the legends of these gurus in India that like – haven't eaten in seven years and just live in a cave and they barely have a thread of connection to this world Mm -hmm. and they're basically just living in the other world and every year, once a year, their followers roll the stone away, give them like a cup of water and go away. Have you you run into anything that wild? Um, I mean, I've heard those stories in India and in North India and the places where they would uh, take place. I think most of the sadhus that I've met will have just been sort of walking around in a place and um but yeah i think there's people who are in the mountains in india who who have decided to leave society hmm. india is really really crowded have you been to india no it's so crowded i mean if there is no personal space in india and it makes more sense than ever to be meditating and it is like <laughs> um it would it, it's it makes sense to it's a i mean it's such a crowded place you're constantly around other people and um so i think there are people who are up in the mountains but it's really hard to be that mm-hmm. far away from from uh personal interaction in india um now anyway but yeah there's i i mean i've definitely been on like a bus ride through the middle of nowhere in the himalayas and seen some guy walking you know, with a walking stick and dreadlocks down his ass and he's alone and he looks skinny <laughs> as a rail. And, and you're kind of like, usually they're like, we'll be walking onto a bus and they'll just hop on the bus for a bit. And they always, you know, the bus driver will be like, you know, obviously give the fare for fr- freedom. And then they'll just like walk off and go off to the mountain. And you're like, I wonder where that guy's going. <laughs> and then the rest of the guys I've met are often, you know, in cities and in places that I would interact with them. And they're much more social beings and kind of caught up into a style of living and a lifestyle that might not necessarily 
be any holier than our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a s- struggle to to feed themselves. So, uh, you know, ascetic ascetic often means, you know, to beg. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't there and, a begging And culture? that can get kind of annoying, yeah. you know, and you don't know where the line ends. You're like, well, do you really need a cell phone? Right. And then for us, it's like, of course we nearly need a cell phone. Right. But if you start seeing the Swami with the cell phone, you're like, sell out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like homeless people with cell phones. You see homeless yeah. people with cell phones. Yeah. I mean, and so you start being like, well, what does ascetic mean now? Yeah. Um, and the value of it has you know, deteriorated. Like, it's romantic to live like this, but when people don't have a cell phone that you're friends with, you're like... Man, that guy needs to get his shit together. Yeah, You're like, yeah, yeah. oh, he doesn't even answer his phone. Right, like, right. Um, are we jealous of that person? I don't know. But the the I don't know. The aesthetic culture in India is it exists and it's li- uh, it's alive. But um, I mean, it's it's really hard. Yeah. When one thing that I uh, that I was just talking to somebody about last night is the idea that these guys in the mountains and Tibetan monks and anybody that goes on some sort of journey. Um, I've I've taken mushrooms maybe five I think it is five times in my life. In fact, I know it is five times in my life. Have you ever done anything any psychedelics? Um, I know about all of these things. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what do you you think your dad's going to listen this dad, far? My dad might listen. <laughs> He's not going to make it this far. He's like, I have heard this. Off delete. Uh, that's the that's the burden. See, my parents don't know what a podcast is. Or how to use the internet. So I'm, I'm relieved of that burden. I actually really yeah. like that. Although I told my – one of the first people I told about my mushroom experience was my mother. I was like – These are these are things um, – this is this is just out of sheer respect yes. for my elders. I but anyway, I, I've, I've studied. I've studied these <laughs> things. Here's my question, and it's not about that um, directly. It's not about you and those drugs. <laughs> Or your experiments with these drugs, perhaps or not. It's the idea that are the I, – I had this moment of realization where I was like, I think those Tibetan monks, when I started studying uh, transcendental meditation, my teacher was like um, – I told her about mushrooms. And she – because she was like, we're here for stress relief. Then when we sat down one-on-one, I was like, I'm not here for stress relief. I'm here for some of that other side stuff. Right, 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 right. And she was like – and I was like, I've done mushrooms, and I got a sense of what my mind can do. Mm-hmm. And then she said something, which I'm sure you've heard before, which, because it's a pretty common teaching, is the idea that mushrooms, LSD, which I've never done, but any of those drugs, um, unlock, like you open the window, give you a peek out the window into what your mind is capable of, and then the window shuts when you come down. Whereas meditation is an effort to like unlock the doors and open all the doors and have access. And then when I thought about that, I was like, that makes sense. Why are so many people going into the mountains and just meditating all day? It can't just be to get bliss. It has to be to go into some realm of your brain, like a drug does for you, that makes the world infinitely interesting, endlessly fascinating, as it is, right. wakes us up to the reality, and I always say this because I've made this point before, that this table is fucking amazing. The fact that Katie is over there and her heart is beating and her lungs are inhaling. So weird. It's so fucking crazy. <sighs> and unfortunately, we've been pacified and we've sedate, sedated to think that Coke is it and we got to go to McDonald's and all this sort of stuff. All this noise is waking us up from the truth, preventing us from the truth. And I, I've had mild experiences with meditating um, where I do get to a mushroomy place. I, I'm not tripping or seeing anything, but it, it's kind of that feeling of when you're kind of beginning to come up on something like that where a fabric mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> you see the intricacies of a fabric and you're like, look at what's happening on my arm or whatever. The, the cliche of staring at your hands because you're high. Right. I've stared at my hands not high and I'm proud of that. What a weird thing to say. But that's what I was going for. That's what I'm putting to you. A lot of these guys, Ram mm-hmm. Das, whatever, yeah, yeah. they take LSD and there's no effect. Or who his uh, Dajneem Karoli Baba, the the guru that he met, yes. apparently didn't have an effect. He t- he took like five hits of that government yeah. grade acid and didn't have any effect. And and you know that that's a recurring theme in the spiritual guys I read about. They'll take LSD and they'll have no effect. Do you know Robert Monroe at all? The, the uh, it's astral projection guy. Oh yeah, I've heard about. Okay. He said he would take LSD and have no effect. Uh, what was the name of Ram Dass's guru or teacher? Neem Karoli Baba. Okay, yeah, him. yeah. I th- it's Maharaji. Maharaji, yeah. Uh, that's, also. that's yeah, nickname. Oh, okay, that's a nickname. So Maharaji <laughs> did acid, had no effect, making me believe, and this is what I'm putting to you, that the appeal of all of this work and this meditation and this retreating is a uh, one more thing. Ramdas gave a lot of Tibetan monks acid. Some of them said. It's good, but meditation is better. Some of them have said, that was great. Can I have some more? You got two different people. I'm interested in the guy that said meditation is better. The guy that can sit under a tree and trip balls in a meaningful way, not in a, just a recreational way, but in that profound, I'm actually learning something way. That's, that's what I'm putting to you. What do you think about meditation being a natural psychedelic? Um, <clears throat> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I get it. I, I don't know. I think that... Uh, I I definitely found um, I I think er, early on, like in high school, I would read about both, you know, Vedanta and like experiences that come from Vedanta and meditation. What is, and what is Vedanta? Vedanta is it, it means the end of knowledge, the end of the Vedas, and it's it's the part of Hinduism. It's non non duality part of Hinduism. That's that would be. Very similar to Buddhism, mm-hmm. and there's a dialogue between Vedanta and Buddhism. But basically, that the concept is that in Buddhism we are empty, in Vedanta we are full, kind of. Okay. Um, but anyway, so that's the sort of premise of non-dual Hinduism, and I would read about that Buddhism, and then also about LSD experiences, and read these like Aldous Huxley and and books like that. And I remember reading that all that stuff in high school, and was sort of. Uh, realize that the converging of like Western tripping out and that and how that culture was touching into, you know, Eastern spirituality. And it kind of came at the same time, you know, the discovery and blowing of your minds of the East and like going, blowing your mind internally was also mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I think that um, the idea that there is a, a drug or a pill and that equation with meditation, I, th- I, I, th- I'm a little wary of that. You think meditation might be better? I just don't even know if they operate in the same realm. Uh huh. Um, I think that yeah, there's a link. I think what we discover in psychedelic drugs is the idea that there is a mind-body link. Yeah. That you can find something holy and and divine through chemistry. Mm-hmm. And that all of a sudden we realize in meditation, if you do an action and you change something in your brain, then you can actually change chemistry too. And so right. I understand the link there, but um, I don't necessarily believe that that the fractals of the fractalization of things and sort of like the blurring um, 
of one into another that we feel in LSD is somehow uh, so linked to what we get out of meditation mm. and, and the experiences we want to have in meditation. I mean, I think meditation is a long-term exercise that is also, again, like flossing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you might get this awesome joy from flossing, but isn't it to maintain yourself and your and who you are? Um, and if it and if and if you're like, no, you're gonna get this super awesome experience when you floss, right? Uh, great, but I, I like I don't think I think it I think that there's something interesting in in psychedelic drugs and experiences from those, but I don't necessarily think that they're so linked. Um, I think recently, like all this stuff about DMT yeah. that, uh, and, and the God molecule of it. Did you it, watch that movie? I watched parts of it. Um, I, haven't, I don't know if I Just sat down. Just the Joe Rogan parts. <laughs> Just want no, the narrative. But I mean, I, th- I, I think that <laughs> we, uh, I, I, I think that we are, um, as, have as much hubris in this field as other fields. Um, Meaning we're out of our league. Well, I mean, just like I, I don't know how the God particle, like uh, the the whole idea to me is now all of a sudden a bit flawed. Now it's well, we're going back to God and like I, I don't know, um, but just I, I, I'm. It's not like I, it's not like I'm down on it. I think actually, sure. like there's so many interesting things. Whether or not I just think like it's yeah, we're getting closer to the experience of LSD and then. The, the Indian guys who took acid back then, to me, those are just like fucking Indian dudes. Like, they're not like swamis. They're just like my uncles who <laughs> who had a certain lifestyle. And I think the intrigue is, oh, look at how peaceful you are in your poverty. I mean, I, feel, right. I still think that that's part of the fascination. And if you spend time in that poverty, um, it's like, and let that go, There's it's not as exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, but I think that there is a fascination with that and whether or not these guys have been in that modality for so long and acid doesn't have an effect on them, I don't know. Um, but I also know people who've taken a lot of acid and acid doesn't have any effect on them. Anymore. And I'm not like, man, you really reached a place <laughs> that I want to be at, right? <laughs> that might be a bad place. <laughs> um, I, so I, I don't know. But I, I mean, I'm not so... Into I'm not so into that link. I what mean, it, I think there's something interesting to it, but I think if that's the way we're, you know, um, it was a good way to get into it. Is that what you're about to say? I, I think I think that's just a way in that yeah. we found, and but it also happened at the same time. Like, yeah, L- LSD is discovered around the same time. I mean, if you've read the book, the Harvard Psychedelic Club, which is a really fascinating book about Ramdas, Timothy Leary, Andrew Weil, and Houston Smith. These guys are the guys at Harvard testing LSD. Yeah. And you have Timothy Leary, who's, you know, all the way out there on one angle. LSD has answered everything. He's like, you know, cryogenically frozen in space or something right now. Yeah. He, invent- he was like inventing the internet or whatever through acid. <laughs> you have that. Um, Timothy, uh, Richard Alpert, who became Ram Dass, yep. who went into the uh, Indian guru world and, and, is, and is kind of, you know, relevant to the gurus. And then you have... Uh, Houston Smith, who went to study of religion and is an academic, and then Andrew Weil, who's the new, who's probably the most successful monetarily of all of them, um, who has like an empire of sort of holistic medicine. And, and it's interesting in that book, Andrew Weil was never allowed to try LSD. Really, he was like a, he was undergrad. He was the control. <laughs> so they say that uh, so he wanted to hang out with Timothy Leary and Ramdas because they were testing LSD on everyone. 
And uh, they wouldn't let him try it. And Tim Leary was like, I don't like that guy of Weil. So he wouldn't let him try it. So Weil was like, you know what? I, he's a journalist at the time, the Harvard Crimson. So he writes an article exposing how they're testing. They were testing LSD on undergrads. Oh, my God. Uh, blows the whole thing out of the water. They get kicked out. Andrew Weil's the guy who did that. Wow. Uh, but it's so funny in that environment how connected what we – how we see – Holistic medicine, Indian spirituality, drugs, and religion are all like yeah. in that one club. Right. And it came out of that. And so those relationships, they all sort of went out in different directions. And LSD was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There, there's something in, in our psyche in the West, they're so linked. But also, I mean, I, I'm rambling now, but in the early Vedas, um, there is a link too that comes from Soma. The drug that's in the Vedas that people have related to uh, mushrooms mm-hmm. that's in the early texts of the Vedas, which is a drug that people would take and uh, drink a tea out of, and they would have a God experience. So I think there is, I think there's some place for it. There's some place that's interesting about using plants to connect with things. Mm-hmm. I also don't give a shit what's in those books either. So, right. uh, <laughs> so I don't know if they have more answers. Right, right, right. Uh, but I think there's something inherently linked. So it's not that weird that we relate to it. But I think there might be slightly sure. different. What are you looking for in your medit? Because it says in the movie that you at least started to meditate. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you learned it as a youth. Right. Yeah, definitely. My my father taught me meditation when I was a kid. Is this yeah. is this a mantra based meditation, or are you just being present? No, it's just sitting and breathing, and uh, um, but not mantra based. No. So nothing in your brain deliberate. Yeah. Just being. Just. Listening. Well, I mean, I actually now do this blue light meditation, which you made up. Yeah, I mean, which is it was hard. I mean, I kind of started doing it towards the end of making the movie when other people were into it. I was like, maybe I should try this. Yeah, but I'm really, I'm sort of inventing. That's the best it part of the movie way. where you go, and then mm-hmm. I felt the blue light. I was like, fucking a. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, I think that you just figure out some weird method and then you go right. for it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, and I think a mantra, um, especially, I think a mantra is the same exact thing. Sure. So, um, but you you could that's a visual meditation. You could picture your li- your body filling with blue light, mm-hmm. or you could repeat sunglasses. It doesn't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I thought of it. Right, I have sunglasses on the table. Yeah, but the point is, is giving your brain something to focus on, and if it's something positive and it's something to be uni uni focused yeah. on, it'll quiet you down a little bit. Totally, it's like having a song in your head. Uh, you right. know, it just gives your brain something to just loop over and over and over to calm you down a little yeah. bit or drive you crazy. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, that's like, I think, you know, you light a can, I think lighting a candle and staring at it seems like some hippie thing, but actually it's like, no, it's a point of focus that's yes. easy to look at. One thing to look at Yeah, and it flickers and it moves. It's a little bit like a screensaver and you can relax. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing it, are you still doing it? Yeah. And when, how do you, how long do you go? Uh, and I don't mean that by dick measuring. I'm curious. No, what, no, what, pro- probably, what works for probably you. like twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah. One like, today. Yeah. That's in, all. In yeah. the morning. Um, I miss it in the morning sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Just some at, at some, some point. point in the day. Usually, I try to do it in the morning, but some point in the day. And have you had any experience where it it does something free? I know it's weird to ask someone to brag about meditation, but that's what I'm doing. I'm wondering if it's ever taken you a place that you were like, "This is interesting." Um. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely has taken me places that are, that are interesting. What is for that? Sure. What is that like? Do you uh, want me to go first? I'll go first. 
I'd actually, I actually have no, I, I don't know. I, I think inherently that experience that it's truest is really, really hard to explain. And I have not heard adequate explanation of it. So maybe I'd love to hear yours. Maybe. Um, I, I would love to tell you. I love talking right. okay. about myself and I love being listened to. So this will work out well for me. Sure. And I wonder in the nature of this show if, you'll, if this will okay. mean anything to you yeah. and unlock your experience. And I'll do it very briefly. I had a couple epiphanies when I uh, – did I ever talk about this on the show, my dreaming epiphany? I don't think I have. So I'm meditating and I realize as I meditate longer and longer, I'm not really doing transcendental meditation as much. It's a mix of what you're doing, which is just what I would call presence meditation Mm -hmm. going, I hear a dog, I hear a fire fire engine, I hear birds, I hear the wind, and sometimes I hear my neighbors. It doesn't matter. This is what this day in 2013 sounds like at this exact time in this exact place. And and I'm I'm a sound aware person. So the first epiphany was that I was like, if I were in a dream, um, I would be fascinated. Like if I told you right now, Vikram, you're dreaming. How fucking cool would it be that you're what in this room? What a fucking weird dream, man. I know, a long <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you ever wake up and you feel like you had like a really long conversation in your, in your dream, but you can't remember? I've it? had really mundane dreams and they're the freakiest. Oh, really? Just like banal? Like going to the bodega and buying... <laughs> Buying gum, but like, if, I've had those dreams. Have you ever realized the that, shit out of me? Like, <laughs> I, I bet it's terrifying. It's scaring me right now. But the, but if you realize that this was a dream, you would think the physics of this bottle was fascinating because you would know you were manufacturing that with your subconscious. Mm-hmm. So suddenly a bottle would be fascinating. Suddenly a table would be fascinating. Suddenly just gravity would be fascinating because you know you're manufacturing it right. all in your mind. So that was the first thing was I was like I'd like to have a waking appreciation. Uh, like a dreamlike world in the real world. Mm-hmm. Because when I realize I'm dreaming in a dream, it often my adrenaline gets shot up and I wake up. It ruins it. So it's over. But in this world, there's no risk. I can become as aware as I'd like to be and as fascinated as I'd like to be. Uh, and I won't wake up because this is real. The second one that I had, and this was all in one kind of session or whatever you want to call it, was that when I do lucid dream and I realize I'm dreaming, this is gonna, this is, I bet you'll get it. I bet you'll get it. But I've told this to people and they don't get it. I'm going to believe that you're going to get it. Okay. When I realize I'm lucid dreaming, so that means I'm a dream Pete inside of the physical Pete. Okay. And dream Pete realizes that he's in a dream. Now, this is where it gets really trippy. Dream Pete realizes that the excitement of realizing that he's dreaming will wake up real Pete. So dream Pete becomes aware of things like the circulation of the blood in the thing that's creating him his adrenaline levels, his excitement. And I'm also aware that he needs to stay asleep for me to exist. So what I do in the dream, it's very simple. It's weird, but like I I just breathe deeply. And what I do actually specifically is I tell real Pete, my host, you get it? I tell host Pete to breathe deeply and to relax. And when he does that, I see the whole world kind of like in the Matrix when it goes in the hallway. Mm -hmm. The whole world kind of expands and contracts. And then what I notice is all these details come in because I've calmed down. So the dream world becomes as real as the real world. So I'll be looking at like a skyline and maybe it just looks like the silhouette of black buildings. And when I tell real Pete to inhale and exhale and relax, suddenly I'll notice that there are lights on the buildings and there's a highway and I can see cars driving mm-hmm. on that highway and I'm like it's fucking working this is great it'll work for a couple minutes maybe five minutes if, the, if I'm lucky so then I'm meditating and I'm thinking about this I have that kind of realization then I go I wonder and this is where it gets really trippy so now I'm real Pete and I'm meditating and I go I wonder if I can calm down whatever 
is dreaming me. You understand? In the same way that I'm connecting with my creator in the dream, being real Pete. Mm -hmm. I wonder if real Pete, like dream Pete, can connect with whatever's creating him and calm that energy down. So I'm like, I tried to breathe the exact same way that I do in my dreams. And when I open my eyes from this meditation, trying to calm my dreamer, and I'm not saying I necessarily believe literally that we're in a dream, but if I pretend we're in a dream and I try and calm down the same way I calm myself down in a dream, I open my eyes. And again, I am a sucker for the placebo effect. And I I do believe that things work. And I'm kind of a believing, optimistic person. Mm -hmm. But I opened my eyes after this experience and was shocked at what everything looked like. Everything. I was sitting on my bed and the swirl of my top sheet was, like a mushroom trip, the most interesting thing I've ever looked at. So I probably stared at what looked like a a mountain range. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I saw a mountain range. I saw my top sheet, but it looked bigger. I felt bigger. The room felt stiller. The light looked beautiful. And like an alien or like a dreaming person... Or, you know, or like somebody on drugs. I then walked around my apartment very slowly (laughs) and felt my floor on my feet. Mm -hmm. Then when I got to the tiles in my bathroom, it was a delightful, insane feeling. Here's where it gets extra trippy is I started to hear my neighbors, something that would normally really upset me because they're always playing their fucking stereo. Suddenly I was like, I can't believe there are people below me. There are other people in this world, and they're playing music, and that's what music sounds like. So it was like being an alien. It was like I was possessed or something. I felt very much like myself. There's a freshness to every experience. It was – isn't there a a Sanskrit word or some word about presence? Sometimes my therapist uses it. It's the idea that when when we can really be in the moment, everything else fades away, and there's no time and there's no space. It's just, just right now. Uh, right. It's like asking a bird what time it is. He would say, it's now. What are you talking about? <laughs> so that's how I felt mm-hmm. right. in that moment. And I know it's bizarre to kind of brag or, 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 or try and impress <laughs> are you, you. Are you bragging? Um, not, I don't feel like I'm bragging. <laughs> it doesn't feel like bragging. Okay, right? good. I'm glad. I don't want to come off as bragging. But the second that happened, I couldn't wait to tell somebody about it. You know what I mean? Right. And And I've told that story maybe two or three times. The idea that touching my wall felt amazing and all that sort of stuff. And that was from just from meditation. The reason I tell you that is to encourage people that want to try meditation that there are right. other things other than sitting there and being still and going was like, well, oh, wasn't that neat? Now I can face the day. Yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily a cup of coffee. It's like a stem and a cap. <laughs> 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 so that's my, that's yeah, my right, story. Yeah. And all of that made so much more sense. Like like uh, Kumare, a lot of these things that you say don't really make sense. If you say, let's calm down our creator and connect to him, and then the world will seem more vivid. Uh. Well, I think that – I think experiences like that differ for people in more in the way that we register experience. Like I, I may have had the same experience, but the what I – how I would describe it would be like, you know, perhaps more about the energy I felt inside of me mm. and the excitement for everything and less about what I was perceiving. So I have that same, you know, thrust of, of, of bliss or something and everything's experiencing like that. And then I'm, I'm, but I'm not smelling the flowers. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just running around in it. And yeah. I think that, 
Um, and so when you, if you asked me what that experience was like, yeah, it just felt really good. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, that, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I, I wonder when I make, after making this film, if the experience that I took, experiences I've taken for granted as a kid, which are, you know, um, doing a lot of Hindu rituals where we're staring into the fire as a child every, you know, very regularly, mm-hmm. meditating. If all of those things, you know, allowed allowed me to just think that um, some experiences are banal, like mm-hmm. the idea, like sort of uplifting or enlightening experiences are are the norm in a way. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that, you know, perhaps You're that's right. embedded and I don't find anything like trippy about it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anything's sort of heightened and it's not more important than me, um, you know, making it on time to an appointment or something right, like right, that. Right. Like maybe I've discredited those. And, and I think sometimes I do think that like yeah. uh, I, I've, I've spoken to some yoga teachers and I remember, you know, there's one yoga teacher who's quite like a popular yoga teacher in New York. And she said uh, she was talking about like people who are on a spiritual path. And I, I my argument to her was, Listen, we're all on a path, and there's not like a line between spiritual and not spiritual. We're all in this, you know, how do we live our life? It's one big thing. And and she said to me, well, think about people who are, you know, growing up in the Midwest who have never heard about yoga or meditation, and all of a sudden this is a mind-blowing place to go. And I, you know, I, and I realized, yeah, I mean, that's that's true with a lot of people who I've met when I was making the film. But in some ways, yeah, maybe I've taken for granted these sort of weird, crazy epiphanies of the world as being something that I was like told early right. on, like, yeah, you, this is something people are experiencing because right. I was kind of exposed to that. Right. Um, but it, early know, on, someone told you magic was real, basically. Or well, that. I mean, uh, yeah, or or just that, like, that was one of the aspirations in life. Mm-hmm. There was like. I think when I was a kid, I was brought to think that having, um, you know, a balanced, enlightened way of viewing the world was as important or possibly more important than financial success. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I don't think my parents were necessarily fully aware of that, but that's how it translated to me. (laughs) Yes. There was equal amount of relevance to being, um, you know, what we would call... You know, it's not even religious because it was like, yeah, religious, but there wasn't it, – it, religion was like an exploration when I was a kid. My parents were interested in it. It was on, There was a lot of realms to look at in Hinduism that weren't dogmatic. Mm-hmm. So in a way, that was a, that was a legitimate venture. Mm-hmm. You could actually – you know, I, I went to an ashram as a kid. We knew people who decided to leave their jobs and, and study in an ashram and – and I remember that was an option. Right. It wasn't necessarily something my parents wanted. I think their fear would be that I would go in that direction. Right. But they it's exposed like it to me. being a reality star in the West. All the kids grew up knowing that they might be on a reality show <laughs> where you're like <laughs> diving, where a kid in India is like, maybe I'll reach enlightenment, but I'd, I'd never be on TV diving with celebrities. Right, right. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. Well, it's just an option. Well, it's an, that it was a legitimate pursuit. Yeah. That it wasn't a weird pursuit to try to be at peace with your surroundings mm-hmm. and and use meditation or any other thing and do that. that that was a legitimate way of operating and that and that perhaps you were supposed to have that as every in in everything you did a little bit mm-hmm. you know 
just having a father, my mother was the more spiritual person and, and remains the more spiritual person. And I've always kind of envied the spiritual dad, the idea of, of a, a man's energy. Because there is something, I don't know if I'm right about this, but there sometimes seems something a little bit feminine about spiritual pursuits. Uh, sitting still and uh, quiet and lighting candles. These are all kind of, in the West, mm-hmm. gir- girlier things. So I've always envied, and as I hear you saying that your father taught you meditation, mm-hmm. I'm like, what a powerful thing. Like if our president said that he meditated, what a powerful thing right, right. when people kind of think it's kind of – I don't know if frou-frou is, a, is an offensive term and I don't mean it that way. But, you know, namby-pamby, sort of like bullshit, ethereal light. It's just – I think shit. it's just in the marketing of it. Yeah. It's just in the PR because, I mean – there's a joke in Kumari where I, you know, I have, and it, it comes from a deep place, but the idea that, um, you know, people don't know what they're chanting, so I'll make up these chants. Right. And be all you can be was one of them, which is the U.S. Army, <laughs> yeah. the U.S. Army slogan, a recruitment slogan. But what I've learned afterwards through one of the reviews I read was that that slogan actually comes from a period of time where the U.S. Army was teaching meditation. Meditation to me. Wow. And yoga, even to some degree, to me was always related with discipline. Mm-hmm. The yogis that I grew up with, the great, you know, the big texts that you study as a Hindu kid is the Bhagavad Gita. It's all about a warrior deciding whether or not he's going to go to and kill his relatives in battle. Mm-hmm. And that war decision linked completely into what yoga was, meditation was, and it comes out of that battlefield metaphor in that context. And so it was always a very masculine mm-hmm. thing that that even like the idea of celibacy was so masculine that you would transcend yeah. your temptations, yeah. which w- in some ways was looked at as a sort of a feminine idea mm-hmm. that the temptation element, um, well, not feminine actually, but not manly and possibly um, it just it's it's weaker to be t- tempted, right. whereas whereas like. The idea of masculinity in often ways and, you know, in in other contexts is like, yeah, I got all these girls. Yeah, you fuck everything. Yeah. That's where, the cool guy. That's like – but like the idea of masculinity um, in some ways I was, I was that that is taught in that is like, no, like you you uh, constrain yourself and you and you do the right thing or like that – that the idea of being with many women is a temptation that is a weakness. Yeah. That you're not fully in control of. A distraction. A, yeah, a distraction yeah. from a higher spiritual right, pursuit. Right. It's just eating ice cream. On, on a certain level, you're just eating ice cream. Yeah, and I think, but the, you know, you see that in like uh, in the military of like, yeah, why are they like, don't hang out with the women right. because you need to focus all of your energy. The idea that sexual energy is part of, right. of it's intermixed with other energies and you could focus your mind better if you weren't, if, if you weren't distracted by those energies. Right. So to me, that was always sort of a masculine idea. Um, and, and so then the, the idea that now yoga is, you know, when you think about it in the self-help world, it does have, you know, it has feminine connotations. Yeah. Um, and my class, my yoga classes, I'm always the one creepy guy. Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. But 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 I don't know. And I think that has to do with the variety of what we call yoga and the reasons for doing it. Right. Um, I mean, I think that it, 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 there's no way to imagine what people used to practice when they practice yoga. I mean, if you live in a society where you're walking around, you know, you're behind an 
an oxen or a bull and you're plowing the field and then you go do some stretches afterwards and calm your mind, why would you be jumping around doing handstands? Right. You've been, you know, climbing the mountain, plowing the field all day. Right. You're not doing, you don't need exercise. The modern day exercise, that's like a modern, right, right, that right. comes from not working with your hands. It's right, like a luxury. Right. right. The sweating, they've already done all the sweating they yeah, need this, to do. Yeah. So I, I think like the context of what yoga is, is going to be like, changed over time yeah and so anyway but back to the sort of masculinity thing like that's kind of i envision that more and even like the first yogi is shiva who is depicted as a you know a guy on a mountaintop who's alone cover you know carrying snakes and skulls and and when he does actually have sex he has sex for like a thousand years (laughs) you know or some shit like that I see those ads under the porn I watch (laughs) last last longer one thousand years (laughs) so there there's a there's like this uh, you know tension this idea of like the tension of of sort of um, of letting go to temptation which might be like ejaculating or might be um, giving into things that aren't right or f- losing your focus. Right, and, right, and, right. Yeah. So I don't even know if that has a masculine or feminine quality, but it, the disciplinary a- aspect of it yeah. wasn't always about peace and love and hugging people. It right. was like, focus your mind and um, do and something like, difficult. Yeah. I mean, I was a kid. Like, you know, if I was we if i was acting up i mean it was like go sit there and meditate or pray right now it's like a bit of a punishment yeah go yeah, focus yeah. your mind you know yeah 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 um, and it is badass it is cool yeah <laughs> i th- i think it is yeah. well i'm i'm interested it, it's come up a couple times i've i've tried to google it i've never really found an article to my liking but the idea of t- tantric stuff not ejaculating i remember seeing something not, i know there's more to tantric it's and it's not just tantric sex is it called tantra Tantra. 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 But when I say it, it sounds racist. Tantra. 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 I know how to say kya hal hai. TK. TK. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you. That's that's one of my best friends. He's brown. Um, I love that you just checked the time when I took it to like, I know a brown guy. Can I get out of here? (laughs) Just trying to make sure. No, no, no. And and we're we're pretty, I feel pretty good about being done. But I remember seeing something and I think it was on like 60 Minutes or some investigative news thing where this guy was like, a man should never ejaculate. It's like one of the worst things he can do in terms of his energy. And there is a certain alertness and prowess and I would say electricity to not coming that I actually kind of can't tolerate. I, it's really, really distracting to walk around with a loaded gun all the time. That's why I'm constantly sleeping. Pete's sleeping a lot. That's why he's so friendly. And Pete just jerked off. That's why he's so friendly. You know what I mean? Like that. that's a choice I make to be like, I don't want to do the podcast without jerking off. Let's just say in theory, even though that's true. <laughs> well, I mean, if you could look at it like that, it's also like, you know, sitting up straight and – and uh, you know, slouching, and yeah. you know these sort of uh, other things that are, you know, uh, signs of being focused. I, I don't know. I don't really know if I have such strong opinion. There was like, there was a guy I met right after the unveiling who was like a, he, he was a pickup artist, dude. You know, oh, and, and, and in Phoenix, and he was obsessed with asking me about, as Kumari, like, you know, <laughs> do you have sex and like. You know uh, all this stuff, and I and I would say to him, I have I have a tantric uh, experience with uh, like I would I I wanted to blow his mind, so I was like, there other enlightened beings, we would have the ritual of that, and he was like, is it sex? And I was like, it is a, it is a special, you know, like 
and, <laughs> like and it's it was, another thing. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. There's there's a new thing that you don't know about. Like you're stuck in this sex thing, and like there's another. Like even like there might be another hole that you don't know. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just read. I'm reading the Secret History of the World. A good friend of mine gave me that, and I, I'm reading that, and it talks about the use of sexual energy with. Uh, I had to look up the word, but some word that means beings not of this earth, <laughs> meaning that the secret societies are doing fucking that we're not doing. Right. See, instantly interesting eating and fucking yeah. and safety. Well, I mean, to- I mean, the thing is, like, it's it's also even like when people are talking about meditation experiences, it's so subjective. So it's like, oh, you know, you need to t- try tantric sex. Because it's the next level, and then that is really mysterious, right? Um, you know, or but but it's all the sort of way you do something or the way you experience it mentally, and and so in some ways there's the argument to say that any activity that you do could be the tantric version of it. So in a way, you are the experience that you were relating to me. It's like you you wake up and you realize this sort of heightened experience, but. Do you live your life like that? So now every time you wake up in the new morning, you're like, this sheet is so comfortable and this pillow is so soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then I smelled a woman and she was like, it was like a garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or whatever yeah. it was. Every bite, you know, um, the idea of like wine tasting, you know, you, t- you taste, like, right. there was a guy who was, who has like a wine tasting thing, wine and yoga, and yeah. the idea is that you taste the wine and, and feel all of the the elements of it, and that, that should translate into your experience in life. So, right. you know, every experience is smelling the roses. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I'm talking to you, and every word you say, everything in your face is a, just a right. heightened. Because um, you're looking for the, the taste of earth in your wine. Right? Yeah. That's a training in being present. But, the, but there, there's no way to know if the rhetoric around that links up with the experience of anyone you're talking with. Like, you don't know. Right. I could explain the tantric experience that I'm having right now. This is a tantric podcast for me. That we, <laughs> you know, you were, you were thinking, the reason I was looking at my watch was because this has felt like, you know, 14 or 15 hours for me. <laughs> Whereas for you, you're like, no, we're just an hour and a half in. But, like, this has been almost like a week, you know? Right, right, right. It's, it, it's just been so, every, every moment has yes. been expanded. <laughs> Or that could be complete bullshit, and you don't right. know. Right, uh, right. Um, <laughs> Why would you do that? But the me? thing is, you just wouldn't know. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. you don't know, and and you you feel it, and then your your memory of it, it's like no, that just happened. Right, right, right. right. I had the fourteen hour tantric experience, but in my memory, it's really only. So those things right. are so subjective and relative. And and uh, but you know, it, it, not 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 to go into such a, a weird place in Kumari, there was like a, a this sort of element that I would, um, you know. The uh, the idea is that you're have this guy Kumari is having the heightened experience, and in some ways it was rubbing off on me. I was having like this, you know, this sort of thrill ride where everything, every interaction with somebody was brand new and exciting, right, right, and right, right, right. and if I and it and it's and all of a sudden, you know, everything that I'm doing, you know, if I if I'm walking down the street, I'm thinking about my posture and like mm-hmm. it's the perfect posture, and like oh, I should walk like this, yeah, and now like yeah. walking through the desert is this exciting thing, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and so you could go about life like that and and i think it's probably a heightened reality and there we should all have a bit of that right you know as opposed to like the habit like i just wake up and fucking brush my teeth right, and like right. now i'd look at this stupid person that i live with right stupid food that i'm eating you know and you yeah. just totally have the exact same food right. same person so yeah i and think the same person with a different lens yeah there's there was a you know to tantric sex talking about that there was this sex tape that had come out 
Um, That's while so funny. I was uh, a celebrity tantric sex tape was a well it was well, a series it was of a tapes. Guru, it was a guru it was a guru <laughs> sex tape yeah exactly and that the, the same idea came out there was a guru named um, Nityananda and there's an old Nityananda but there's a new one who was actually around my age um, he was a sort of a handsome young man um, and uh, flowing hair and there's a scene in the movie where he actually appears. In a poster, and the woman. Oh, the is pointing, law of attraction. Yeah, she says like, "Oh, you know, I'm looking at him," and then you've appeared like he was a poster. What's interesting about that guy is, well, if she, if it was, if she did attract a, a false guru, she, he was, he's, you know, he was a good one to, yeah. to have up there because he had a sex tape that just came out right around when we were making the movie, and it was released on the internet by a follower, and the guy put a camera in the, like the corner of his room, and he's having some sort of sexual activity with. Um, like a a well known South Indian actress who uh, you know I just don't know and if anyone really recognized her or whatever but he was in the corner. What the guy was doing was lying on a bed watching TV, getting served like samosas, and then there was maybe some kind of blowjob or something involved. I couldn't really tell. It was really weird the angle and everything, and whatever was going on was so tame and. It was disgustingly tame, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm but, offended how tame it but, is. But what was so annoying about it was not that he was having sex with with a woman, but how whack it was, how fucking lame it was. Yeah. There was no element of like, oh, he's into it. He was distracted. He was like a fucking couch <laughs> potato with like a hooker or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And I, and I was thinking... Man, if a, if there was a sex tape of a spiritual person, yeah. that sex tape should be like... 14, Four, yeah. 14 hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should have like a whole slew of people, maybe an elephant walking through. Yeah, where's the you know? Kama Sutra? Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's something, you know, text. maybe it's, uh, I don't know, there should be a garden. It should be just so fucking nice, you know? <laughs> there should be scene changes. Should, I'm seeing a curtain. You know, yeah. or, or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 it, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, there, sh- there should be some beauty to it and yeah. elegance and it should be, it should be, uh, you know, some enlightened right. thing. And it was most disappointing was, you know, sitting around watching TV. Yeah. I don't care if that guy's having sex. Right. The I, fact that... It's offensive the way he had the sex. The way he, it was done. Right. You it know? should have been a video that girls would be like, why don't we make love like that? Instead of a video of how they do make love. Yeah. It was <laughs> just like, oh, this is worse TV. than... Uh, yeah. This is worse than uh, like someone who has never thought about spiritual pursuits. Right, right, right. This is just fucking lame. Giving you know? her the business. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, that's that was so interesting to me because I wasn't a fa- I wasn't like, oh, that guy's not a real teacher yeah. because he's having sex. Yeah. He's not a he, he wasn't legitimate because of how he was doing yeah, that's it. That's so know? great. I love that. Well, you just said reminded me of, of of the of the prison that a lot of uh Christian pastors aren't allowed to say things like that. Cuz I think what you just said is a beautiful spiritual truth. It's not offensive that he's having sex it's offensive to me how he's having sex and i'm, I'm so upset when i see uh, pastors whom i love and i actually know some pastors who would agree with you but belong in a system where they're not allowed to say things like that because of elders and because of offerings and because they belong to some sort of establishment at that point where they they couldn't they couldn't endorse right. extramarital sex in any way right. or say that it was okay. So yeah. I, I just love a dialogue about spiritual things with two people who are trying to be spiritual and being like, he should have been fucking her really well. <laughs> like that, that would have been a better ministry if he yeah. ministered yeah. to her with his guru dick. Yeah. Um, all right. What was I going to ask you? Oh, I wanted to ask you about the law of attraction people that you just brought up. Okay. Do you – anything there? 
those people broke my heart. The Kabam guy and uh, getting kicked out of the well, office. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think what the, I, I think what's entertaining about that scene, yeah, is that this is an aspiration. That being the teacher uh, is actually an aspiration. You know, like a, a, spir- a self help. There is a self help industry. Yes, there is an aspiration for people to. Um, become self-help teachers. And I think that's, um, it's interesting only that it's, it's, if that becomes an industry, then anybody is able to pursue that as, as an objective. It's like uh, Greg Kinnear in Little Miss Sunshine. Do you remember that? Yeah. The idea of the guy who doesn't have it together, teaching people how to have it together. There's something very sweet about that. It's it's admirable. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm going to make this work. And you're rooting for him. But at the same time, you're afraid that the second everyone leaves, they're crying. Yeah. <laughs> which, which... Well, you know, it was funny when I was coming up with sort of the method of Kumari, the Kumari method, the the teaching called the unveiling. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is just so theoretical. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it made logical sense to me um, that – Oh, let me just teach this. Let me teach this. Show people that they have answers inside. Help them bring up the answers. And, you know, and it works, but it's like so many different methods work. And there wasn't anything like more legitimate about Kabam or less legitimate about Kabam than Kabam the, being Kumar- the law of attraction thing. Yeah, the law of attraction thing in that movie. So, like, he, he had a method that was like an, Kabam was an acronym. Yeah, know for- what you want. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember all of them? I try. I didn't yeah. pause it. I tried to. It was know what you want. Ask for what you want. Right? Something like that. Yeah. Be. And then I think the last one is manifest it or something. Believe right? what you yeah. want. Acknowledge what you yeah. want. Yeah. Manifest what you want. Right. I just made that up. Yeah. But it was something that, I mean, and, and, it, and it, we, it was very much like when we were teaching and I was like, oh, there's Kabam. This is like the Kumari method. And, yeah. And it was really similar. Like it didn't have an acronym that worked like that. But there was uh, there was something you know to it, and that's so similar to all the successful self help books that exist. Like, yeah. put it into a framework. Give me five steps. Give me seven steps. Yeah, five or seven. Yeah, something like that. Twelve. You know, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Give me some steps. Give me a pathway, a, a framework to make this shit happen. Mm-hmm. And 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 so it's not that weird. So now that there are all of these different paths, they're all equally legitimate. I think it's easier to see now that if you're smart enough and clever enough, you can come up with something, and it's not to say that's not a legitimate pathway. Mm-hmm. Kabam could totally work. It's only funny because it's not gaom or something like that. Right, right, right. If it sounded oh, solemn, right. if it sounded religious, if it sounded like kumare or uae yeah. or the adarsha method, yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, well... That's interesting. That guy has some interesting things to You're say. Fucking but right. because of the art, the kabam, like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, nobody wants to be the Shazam mantra or yeah. the kapow. That's why, I mean, mantras sound so much lamer in English than they do in in, yeah. in Sanskrit. I well, mean, did you see that Curb Your Enthusiasm where he realized his mantra was, I'm an asshole? <laughs> yeah, or it was, yeah. I think it was just asshole. <laughs> but, even, but that would work. That's what's funny about that is the Sanskrit word for asshole is probably beautiful. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? I'd like to find out what my mantra is. I mean, means. if it was muladhara. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like the muladhara. Does that mean something that's bad? The, that's, the, that's a perennium. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the first chakra. You know, if, if it was about that or the bottom chakra and yeah. you're saying asshole, but it's actually like yeah. the first chakra. Like Ooh. focus on, you know, clenching your asshole. Like, right, you know, right, right, right. Um, 
Anyway. Is so, there any validity to this? I have two weird practical questions for you. I was just in this car accident, and I haven't felt quite like myself since then. But it's also because when I relax, my head goes over here. That's mm-hmm. why I'm going to a chiropractor. This is, like my, this is what my neck wants to be doing, far to my right. Mm-hmm. And all my friends were like, oh, are you worried that your chakras – they were making fun of me, which yeah. is fine. They were like, are you worried that your chakras are, are misaligned? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. Is, would that be in, in line? I don't know in line, but would that be in line with the teaching of the chakra? Would it be bad in that world to be misaligned? I don't think I mean, what's bad. Like, it's not bad, right? No, I mean, I mean Are you, to have your spine moved around. If you think you're, if your spine is fucked up yeah. and, and the logic is that you need to straighten and align your chakras in order to find enlightenment, yeah. I think then we're really like – we're really saying fuck you to anybody who is born with any kind of oh, sc- you know, scoliosis. scoliosis. Like yeah. I, I don't think that's the. I don't think there's. I think that chakras are a uh, human invention, just as um, any other classification we have in biology that yeah. we've decided that this is what we call things. I do think that there's some truth to the, f- the feeling of love in our heart. And the feeling of sexual tension in the second chakra, and like, and I, and we don't have, we don't, we don't feel stress like in our toe when we're thinking really hard. Yeah. We feel it in our head. Like, yeah. I think they're very obvious things, but I don't think that this idea of like the visual pathway of like the shushumna nadi clear, clearing up, and then us, us having this is enlightenment. That like your spine? That's your spine. Well, the idea is a subtle body. There's a pathway in the middle of that sort of there's two sides, the Ida and Pingala side, and and uh, there's energy going through in this sort of double helix that's in our body. And then if we're able to focus into the middle, the Shashumna Nadi is the, is the pathway in the middle, and then we can kind of create this sort of alignment. And I think visually it's like it's a very powerful uh, visual thing. Like, yeah. oh, okay, there's like a pathway, there's some plumbing. Well, that would be a meditate, and meditative it sort of thing sh- to think about that. Yeah, and then it sort of shoots up our skull and then it comes out our our brain and then all right. of a sudden we have this like mind-expanding experience. Or, but I, so I, I don't, but I don't know if that, um, I think that's a beautiful image and I think it's a really, uh, it, it's an interesting way like mind-body matches up, but I just don't think that like you're, you got in a car accident, and now like, I'm, I'm not spiritual anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it's a logic that I've heard a lot. Like, you got injured because of karma. Oh, I didn't think that, or whatever. But I'm like, glad I don't think. But that. But I mean, it is all sort of mushy into like something. I, I, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I think that you probably. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's other there's other reasons that I think that. Um, you know, I, I don't think it. I, I think it's more of a physical problem, and that. Mm. Um, yeah, and then it, you know it's probably helpful to get over it and you know yeah. get better. I agree with that. But yeah. do you believe in the law of attraction? I'm guessing no. You seem like a. I I don't know about the law of attraction. I think that the common sense of feeling good and being positive and and putting your mind onto things that you want to do in your life is yeah. is something that that doesn't take a law. I think I think the movie The Secret. Um, the beginning is just like one of the most abominable <laughs> bullshit. Like where they're premise. finding it. Yeah, like th- that movie is so frightening to me because it just says, "Listen, you want to achieve happiness? We are not gonna. Part- we are gonna actually um, celebrate." The people who have the secret, the people who have the secret in that movie are shown to be the fucking pharaoh, 
fat guys, fat white bald men sitting in suits smoking cigars. That's yeah. how they're showing the people who have the secret. Yeah. Like, yeah. fuck that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, so, so I think I, – I so that's where I sort of like heard the law of attraction codified at something while watching that movie. And I think – that that is a really scary way of looking at the world. It doesn't challenge anything yeah. in our worldview. It's not good for humanity. Um, uh, and to I think, all aspire to be brandy swilling. But I, but I, I but I, I think that I think the idea of like put out things into the world out there that you want you you're uh, you're you're divorced. If yeah. you decided to keep telling everyone, not tell anyone that you're divorced. You probably won't meet anybody else because everyone's like that guy is like he's still married. He's just really reclusive. Right, right, right. You have to like put it out there if you want a fucking new job. I tell still have her. You got to tell everyone you're looking for a new job right. or play it some way that like you're aspiring to something. When you have those conversations, it goes. In, I mean, I just think or that you there's w- such basic things that are like right. obvious for the law of attraction that don't make it necessarily some cosmic thing. It's just right. like... I agree with that. You know, um, where do you put your energy? What do you put out in the world? You'll right. probably see it again. But I, but I think that as far as like the idea of meditating on your bank account becoming bigger and getting zeros thrown into it, which is actually a testimonial in that movie... I know. ...is just... Drawing zeros on it. It's is definitely hurting balance. more people than, than it's helping that, that Well, there metaphor. are stories of people buying lottery tickets and then acting as if they've won... By buying a bunch of shit, that because they're trying to act as if it's real, right? So right. they buy a new car and they buy a new house and all this sort of stuff that they can't afford because they're willing, yeah, the winning yeah. of a lottery ticket. In that case, it does hurt when you lose your house and you lose your car and you have bad credit. Yeah. You know, you, you know. I, I mean, I, I guess I think the basic premise of it, though, yeah, I mean, makes sense. I don't well, think it, happy happiness. Which is what we're kind of talking about: positive thinking. I am going to get a new job. I am going to things are going to get better. Optimism, that sort of stuff. That is object. That that is uh, quantifiable. People who are happier get promoted more. They have more friends. They have better relationships. And at, at a certain point, it doesn't even matter if it's necessarily the deepest running, genuine, true mm-hmm. litmus test at all you want. This is real happiness. It doesn't really matter if you act a little bit happier. Things will happen, and then you might actually get a little happier. I don't even know if that. It, I, I'm with you. I don't think that ne- needs to be supernatural. That's yeah. just that's just. I mean, be, my whole life, people have. have um, I've, I think I have a, a slightly expressive face. I've been told, "Why don't you smile more? Like, just smile." And I'm like, "I'm totally happy." And I always be like, "Get a, get out of here with that." <laughs> Why aren't you smiling? And it's like, yeah, I mean, just. I, I guess like it's annoying to hear that, but. But the reason that people... That's such a New York pickup line. Why are you smiling, beautiful? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, people say that. Maybe that is a pickup line. Maybe that, maybe, maybe I should realize, oh, yeah. you're just hitting on <laughs> These me. These men are hitting on you <laughs> on the subway. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, but but I, I think there's something genuine. Like, people want to be around. And then some other people are... Uh, in New York, also, some people are like, oh, those people are... Yeah. <laughs> why are they so happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get both of them. Um, but but I I, th- I think in general, like, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Right. Uh, it, the law of attraction on its base level makes okay. sense, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, it doesn't need to be supernatural. Here's a question I didn't even remember to ask. The difference between, which I think is one of the big parts of the movie uh, that troubled me, having an open heart, guy who puts Osama bin Laden on his, on his temple mm-hmm. or altar, mm-hmm. having an open heart... And being a sucker are, you know, two sides almost of the same coin. You know what I mean? Like the guy that will fall for anything that doesn't really have his own integrity that would be like, this is bullshit. This guy is bullshit. This practice seems like bullshit. Closing off your heart, guarding your heart. 
Um, what I'm saying is being a sucker seems to be a symptom of having an open heart, which I think we both would agree is a good thing. So the guy that's like, mm-hmm. Kumari just told me that this picture of Osama bin Laden is just a symbol and it doesn't mean anything. Okay, that seem, maybe in that moment he's like, that seems crazy. But he goes like, don't have a closed heart. Just try and see what he's trying to teach sure. me. In the movie, it's, it's very funny. And, and there's no part of me that was like, fuck you for doing that or anything. But I was like, I have a hard time with that because I'm like, I, I have a thing on my a post-it note uh, above my fridge where I look every day when I drink water in the morning. It just says open heart because I'm always trying to remind myself to have an open heart. But when I have an open heart, it does make me more susceptible to someone to be like, hey, if you keep this stone in your left pocket, you'll get rich well, or whatever. I, not like a, you know, I, I don't I don't think it matters that it comes from a Sanskrit word, but there's the idea of discernment for the word viveka is like a discernment or discrimination. I don't think that there's necessarily uh, you exclude discernment when you go in uh, with open hearted, yeah. and and I think the only reason that that scene is troubling or funny or feels like someone's being picked on is because the interview afterwards yeah. affirms that 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 experience was positive, one hundred percent positive, and um, blissful. And there wasn't so much discernment in the the commentary around it. Mm-hmm. I think that I think if there was discernment around the commentary where it was, well, I went along with it. It was a little weird. It was right. strange. I went along with it. I understand the philosophical message. I don't know if I'm going to continue this practice. Right. Uh, but I understand what you're going for. Right. I think. And had he had that been the reaction, we probably wouldn't have used it because right. it, it, it would have seemed disgenuous to right, right, disingenuous right, right. to what 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 was actually happening. But um, but so I, I think there's a way of being like open hearted. I'm open hearted to this experience, processing it. Perhaps maybe it took a, a week to process. I don't know. In that right, case, right, yeah, right. maybe we should have done the follow up. How does it feel a week later? Kumari too. Um, yeah. <laughs> But but I, I think that there's uh, so I I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think you can be open hearted and discerning and yeah. Um, and I mean, always think about it. Would you like you think like well, I'm open hearted, but would I pass this on to someone else? Right. You know. Um, it's only and I I actually think there's something really profound about uh about trans. If you if you decided that you were going to meditate and this was a practice of loving everything. The context of that says, yeah, okay, that's a great, that's a really interesting way of approaching um, this altar. So now your Osama bin Laden thing is like, I'm going to take the worst thing and I'm going to try to meditate and still have love for that person. Yeah. If you put it in that context, you're like, well, that's Suddenly it. it does it, make sense. That, it, that does make sense. So it's only that that happened and, and then you know, the, It was his interpretation of it, really. Yeah, and then we felt like this is actually a real... This is actually how it was interpreted by the person we were doing it right. with, you know? He also has that great quote about the silence of sound, which is yeah. one of the most... Which is one of the perfect, most perfect examples of a spiritual... The kind of thing that makes my dick go inside my body, where I'm like, what, what was that? Because they're saying esoteric things, and then there's, like, saying things that sound esoteric, where you're just kind of like... Wait, yeah. you just said the hunger of not eating or what? What, what was yeah. that? Like you just got a baloney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you would – I love that answer by the way. And I didn't mean to – like I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just wanted no, no, to see no, what you please. thought about that. Um, uh, last couple things is one I was wondering if you would – because I bet people listening, if I were somebody that doesn't meditate and they – and you seem to have this simple way of meditating, the blue light meditation, uh-huh. is, it, is it possible to explain briefly just in case somebody wanted to try it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there are actually a few variations that um, 
that we had in the movie. Do it in the voice. Sure. Okay. No, <laughs> Yeah, it actually works. I don't. You don't have to imagine a voice doing it, but I think yeah. that it, it's it's uh, definitely works better in the Kumari voice. Yeah, for sure. I, I love. I I do enjoy it, and I find when you talk in it, I'm like, he's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening. Yeah. Well, I, I think so. The philosophical level is that there's a higher self, so that there's the blue self, which you know I kind of took from you know the word avatar. Mm-hmm. And that why they're blue in that movie, it, avatars in Hinduism are the higher sort of the, the descended uh, self that's connected to a higher deity. So mm-hmm. an avatar of, of Vishnu is Krishna, Vishnu coming down to earth. And, and so that we all have our avatars and this is the sort of the, the way Wait, of imagining our ideal self. Where is our avatar? Uh, well, we have avatars. We have more avatars. We understand avatars as being our Facebook profile. Right. No, no, I know. But you like know. in this teaching, where is my blue Pete? Oh, so so it's it's something that you that is based on the fabric of imagination that you have to be the one constructing that. Don't you know, don't you don't have to look at the Jesus. You don't have to look at Shiva. You can create your own version of that inside and and yeah, inside you. And, and then you kind of can create what that. Sort of, and the idea is like it's a little like, you know, thinking about who you want to be and working backwards. Like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of person I, w- I want to be—a person who does this every day. I want to be helping people, and and so let me just imagine that uh, this ethereal person that ha- does all that acts the way that I want to act. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like lives. It doesn't have like I want to imagine the person with a big house. They don't get. You don't get to. I didn't. Right. You don't imagine the the the, ver, the blue version of you with the big right. house right, right, right. and the, and the ladies. It's just right. pure. You know. It's just like how does that person act and what do they do and what are they feeling in their heart? Imagine that ethereal way and then just sort of focus on that. Um, and then the the starting point is just imagining the blue light first, and then like you know, then you could take it further. And there are different exercises. Mm-hmm. So on a very basic level, is just imagining the blue light. So I could I could walk you through it if you want. Yeah. Okay. I love the idea of somebody at work and they're like, I'm totally fucking doing this, by the way. And they yeah. just put the keyboard away and they're like, close your eyes and then we do it. Yeah, so. I'm going to do it. Close your eyes. Okay. I won't talk. And don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> just hear the laughter. Like, it'll go away soon. And then, whatever you're sitting on, Make sure the bottom chakra, the bottom muladhara, is touching the ground firmly. So that may be a chair, it may be a ground, and if you are in the toilet, it well, there is not touching, but try to leave the toilet and go somewhere else, <laughs> finish your business. But wherever you are sitting, you can also, also do the standing, don't worry. So straight in the spine. You want to balance the front side and back side. In balance right side and left side. Feel your vertebrate stretching, moving up. As if this is a ladder. All the way from the bottom of the spine to the top of the head. And slowly inhale. And exhale. Feel the breath coming inside. Inhale. 
and exhale. Try to balance the inhale and the exhale. Slowly begin to focus your mind. With every inhale and exhale, focus your mind right between your eyes. And imagine with every inhale and exhale that there is a blue light. in your mind. Inhale and exhale. As you focus on that blue light with your steady breath and your straight spine, imagine that image that is a blue light is simply in the shape of your body. It is as if your body has no bones and no skeleton and no muscles. It is empty, just a empty blue being. And inhale and exhale, focusing your mind. Your whole body is empty. I want you to imagine now, as you look at your reflection in your mind, as if your body is filling up like a blue water moving through your body. So inhale, feeling your body from the bottom of the spine, coming up from the first to second chakra, just like a blue water, a blue light coming up your body. The steady inhale and exhale. You imagine this in your mind. You inhale, bring up your body, filling up with the blue to your navel. Exhaling, imagine the energy inside your body is a spiraling up. And inside your mind, the sound is... Feel with the inhale now, moving up this blue light through your body, coming up to your heart. Feeling it moving up. The sound is coming up. With every inhale and exhale, your body remains straight, your spine straight. In all of this you are observing in your mind, in your pure reflection, inhaling the light coming up 
to the throat. Your whole body now is becoming filled with the blue light. And the sound is Feel with the inhale the blue light filling up your face coming up to the top of your head. Your whole body is a blue light and you feel this and see it in your reflection. The sound is With every inhale and exhale, your body becomes brighter and dimmer. In your reflection, the sound is ooh-ay. Focus your mind on your forehead. And imagine your whole body is a blue light. And from your third eye, slowly imagine that there is a tube coming out of your forehead. And that tube is just six inches, seven inches long. It is coming out in front of you. And I want you to slowly imagine that in front of that tube, on your lap, there is a bowl, an empty vessel. I want you to imagine now that all the blue light inside you will travel through that tube with every inhale and exhale. Inhale and exhale. The blue light emptying out through the tube. And imagine with every inhale and exhale more blue light moves through the tube. And as it goes to the tube, it falls into the bowl on your lap. Inhale and exhale more blue light. As it goes to the tube, it turns to water and goes into the bowl. Inhale and exhale, moving out more. Filling up this bowl. Inhale and exhale deeply all the way out until there is no light inside you. You are empty. And all of the blue light is on this in this bowl on your lap. Is a pool of blue water, a blue light. I want you to focus. Imagine that bowl. And imagine yourself looking down on the surface of that bowl. Yourself is a nothing, there is no body, nothing. Just a pure self empty, looking onto the bowl or the surface. Imagine your reflection on the surface of that bowl.
focus your mind Keep your focus there with every inhale and exhale. You can stay in this place focusing your mind or you can come out with us together. The sound is why. Inhale. Okay, good. Free podcast. <laughs> That's fantastic. Good. good. <laughs> That's a good way to end. Yeah, you feel good. good? Yeah, I feel good. Yeah, I'm into great. it. Great. That was sort of the guided, the, the guided, oh, sure. the guided visualization version. Oh god, it was nice. It was very nice. Yeah, who wants to do a podcast now? <laughs> <laughs> the end. We have the guests say keep it crispy, but before you do, it just means whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> I'm being all touchy now. Keep it crispy. Yeah, when you say it. Okay. When I say keep it crispy. Yes, when you say keep it crispy, okay. the show will be over. Okay. But before you say that, I do want to thank you sincerely. Thank you. For this. Yeah. For the meditation, fun. for the whole thing. What a fucking joy. I had a great time. Privileged to meet you. Go watch Kumari, everybody. Buy it. Special features on the DVD? Because we, yes. don't, we don't just want them streaming it. There's definitely, there's definitely good special features for sure. Good. Yeah, definitely. You get to see. There's also a great commentary by Kumari about the entire movie. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah. So that's, that's actually something that uh, uh, I just recorded as Kumari, and it's completely off the cuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't even know what's in there, but... Uh, <laughs> I love that you have this other persona. I went back into him for a little bit, and then I did a commentary, and now I'm Vikram again. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. That's it. You can say keep it crispy however you like. Keep it crispy. I was secretly hoping you would do it that way. hanging on down in Memphis on my now leaving Nerdist.com.